friend. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome all to another exciting episode of Lore Beards. I will admit in preparation for this one, I have been trying on many different hats. Hats of all sizes. Small hats, big hats, medium hats. And it's by the end of it, fair to say that none of them were quite as impressive as anything that the good old Dowies are, the good old Chaos Dwarves have to offer. No, I'm looking no, forward no to this one. Compares. <laughs> yeah, no hat compares. If it's not at least about 50% of your actual height, then it's not It's not even worth Wait it. Wait a minute. Let's get this uh, Christmas tree. Don't hurt your neck. <laughs> there we go. I am now officially a Chaos Dwarf with my giant Chaos Dwarf hat. Uh, maybe put it behind me. See how that looks. Uh, almost. A little no. bit. <laughs> yeah, we're almost there. Okay, right. That's proper stupid. Let's put that behind me. Throw away the Chaos Dwarf, Chaos Dwarf tree. Okay, so today we're talking about the capital of the Chaos Dwarf Empire. Good old Mingol Zarnagarund. Uh, Zarnagarund. And it's uh, it's going to be a fun one, I think, this week. Because obviously there's quite a lot we can say about the city itself. Some of its inhabitants. Exactly how it became what it became. But I am super interested to see if we can manage to keep this one going for a full two and a bit hours a little bit like of uh, three hours really a little bit like when we started with dragon ogres i was thought is there gonna be enough yeah. to talk about this a boy was there with the dragon ogres so i'm super excited to see where this goes let's start with jonathan hey jonathan thanks very much for dropping us a little super <laughs> chat there excited second short episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's see how this one goes and hammond why couldn't the dwarf properly uh oh i don't even want to finish reading oh this. man i, I actually like this one a lot why couldn't the dwarf properly clean up the spell he only had one rag one, uh, one rag. <laughs> hey he used cosalid in a pun i'm proud of him <laughs> I, i'm i'm pretty impressed with that one um, largely because good. you know <laughs> whenever one does a proper lorry beardy pun it deserves a proper cheers well done okay so uh Oh, I was just about to start there, but Roderick, <laughs> hey Roderick, good to see you out there. Extremely problematic for you to be talking about the Dawizar without engaging with their big hat traditions. I think I did indeed already discuss their big hat and this and put a tree in my head to try and represent such things. Listen, we, we, we don't want to insult them by our hats not being big enough, so we're just gonna <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna err on the side of caution. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm also gonna offer a word of warning now. I I'll admit a lot of you are going to probably start watching this after we've started streaming. But nevertheless, I do feel that it is worth putting a quick content warning up because the good old Dawizar enslave pretty much fucking everything, which is a sensitive topic for some people. But we are going to be discussing slavery at some length. And not only that, we're also going to be discussing pretty much using sorcery science to fuck about with everything and demons and all sorts of horror. So if you're out there at the moment feeling a little bit sensitive about such things, might I recommend that you go watch another stream? Because seriously, we're going to be diving deep into just how nasty, nasty folks can be. And uh, here comes a bit quick Cheshire grin. The Infernal Guard are seated in Black Fortress. What kind of war cults might be tucked away in Tsar Nagrund or even Uzkalak? We'll get onto that as we go because there's going to be quite a lot of discussions regarding exactly what is where, how big the Empire is, what sits at the very center of it, who's leading it, who's not leading it, all of that gubbin. So um, keep on that one. And if you think that we've not answered this, do come back to us, Cheshire. Uh, thank you very much, though, for the... All right, well, we will touch on that. 
yeah yeah we are going to be diving into that um so uh do you have anything you want to open with this week yeah sure i'll open with a little thing uh yeah just kind of setting the stage for where we're going so uh for those of you that maybe not be super familiar uh with the chaos dwarfs which can't be a ton of you because they obliterated the poll this week as mm. they obliterate all things uh but from the perspective of the old world uh a lot of people think there's not much out east that there is just a barren wasteland you wander 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 and then hey you're in cathay but in reality there is actually quite a bit going on in that big empty space that a lot of people don't think about which is that you go over the world's edge mountains and as you go east past the wolf lands with all the roving goblin tribes past the ashen wastes where there's not much but monsters and horrible creatures lurking beneath and above and all sorts of other nonsense past uh the roving oh mandatus, oh, mandatus. thank you so much all hail glorious hashot all hail the majesty of mingles Nagarund. all shall be brought under the fires of tyranny in chains to the forge fire Stoke the sacrificial furnaces for the offerings and demon engines and praise mighty Hashat. Damn fucking straight. Yeah, thank thank you. you very much, Mandatis. I'm doing that like every week. Thank you very much. You rock. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, so you carry on past the ash waste. You get past the blasted waste. You get past like the desolation of Drakenmore. You get past all these other horrible things that just look like ash, ash, and more ash, uh, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And eventually you will arrive at the plains of Zarduk, which are not a great place uh because when you arrive there you will basically see all of the refuse of industry of the worst kind there is there is no environmental protection agency out here <laughs> it's just the absolute them out in the harbor oh man <laughs> yeah, oh, just man. carry on yeah. busy laughing <laughs> coming going, oh, <laughs> Um, also thank you um Avenius as well for the lovely little super chat there yeah so uh when you arrive in the plains of Zarduk, you go down and down and down because you start sinking into a crater before you finally arrive uh just through all of the clouds of ash and toxic fumes and roaring fires and open air mines and all the other nightmares you can imagine there stands the mighty mountain made of obsidian which is a really weird material to build a city out of, but we'll get into it, that. Particularly if you've got sorcery, a science going on, but we are going to yeah, dive we're, into that We're going to get one. into that. And nice. this Just mountain that. is, of course, not a true mountain, but was built, and it is the mighty city ziggurat of Mingolzar Nagrand, which is a pretty nightmarish fucking place. It um, really freaking is. Also, quick thanks there to you there, Laughing God. That was our sorcery science. Do you want a Grimgore? Because that is how we get a Grimgore. Yeah, we're going to be diving into that and the timeline of Black Orcs in general and where they almost certainly came from. Yep. So uh, I think for the purpose of this episode, at least right at the beginning, I think it's going to be better to kind of very much fast forward through what the Chaos Dwarfs are to just get to the kind of the point of it so we can actually talk about the city itself, which is supposed to be kind of the focus. Because we could, if we were to talk about Uskalak, we could be there a really long time. And we might yeah. switch back around to it uh, if we still have time at the end. But bar to say that long time ago, some dwarfs went into uh, uh, Zar Uskul, which is the uh, the plains of, plain of skulls. Plain of skulls. It's a place where the thing that's very interesting about the Darklands is that for most races, there is not a lot of great easy interest in the Darklands. They show up, they look around, they go, wow, this looks like a hell blasted landscape that really sucks. Nothing seems to grow here. 
and there's always like the sun almost never comes out and there's a lot of big nasty cities here this is terrible let's leave but the dwarves mm -hmm. look around and go wow look at all these minerals look at all these volcanic deposits where all this like really nice gold and gems are constantly easy to find and when we dig down deep the soil is super rich with all the things we could ever want there's tons of oil here and all the resources you could ever want for industry and wealth um hey matthew just to quickly cut in while he's discussing the awfulness that is Zarnagrand and where it's cited which city would you say is worse Hellpit or Zarnagrand and i think the answer is most definitely yes yeah, it, it kind of depends what your personal ick is, in my opinion. I mean, they yeah. both have horrible slavery economies. They're both awful. One's built up, one's built down. But other than that, they're one's more into like industry hellscape, while the other's more into like fleshy nightmare hellscape. Mm -hmm, so it just kind of mm -hmm. depends on what you're more awful-aided by. Um, I don't actually think there's a good answer for that. They're just they're both awful. Uh, oh, oh gosh, we got two new ones uh can we um roderick hmm that's I, a really fun one let's do that one at the end because yeah, we, yes you're right it definitely wouldn't be the same as your regular dwarves yeah we we, we could tackle that right at the end uh what would be the toughest metal in the warhammer world is it grumroll uh, it is most of the time it is grumroll yeah, most of the time it's Star Metal Gromroll. Um, uh, Meteoric Iron is also dropped sometimes as a separate thing to Gromroll, even though both of them are referred to as Star Metal. You also have Ithilmar as well that the High Elves use, which is generally considered to be light and strong rather than bloody heavy yeah, and impregnable. strong and strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly, strong and strong. But generally speaking, Gromroll is right up there. <laughs> Again, it depends on your personal lick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some people just don't like elves. Fuck those guys. Um so, <laughs> nice one, Inquisitor Thomas. Anyway, dwarves <laughs> came to Zornu's cool. That they things were a lot of the dwarves went, this place has bad juju, we're leaving. But some stayed because they were particularly greedy or they cared more about results and less about risk. And it ended up chaos happens they get surrounded even though there's some weird timeline shenanigans but we're not going to wax lyrical about that today economy. yeah sure <laughs> um but uh eventually the dwarves are isolated in uh the city that they built called uskalak and they stay there for a really super long time and they dig deep and they dig deep and they dig deep because there's nowhere else they can go they feel abandoned by their gods and deep in the darkness they find something or someone uh, depending on how you feel about it <laughs> and a pact is formed with the father of darkness also known as hashit the god of fire tyranny and greed and what emerges from uskalak um hundreds of years later is what we now know as the chaos dwarfs which are dwarfs that have been warped and mutated by the will of hashit and they have the ability to wield magic which is a pretty alarming change <laughs> if you know it anything is. about dwarfs so we've got quite a lot to potentially unpack here, but I think unpacking it later is better because we're going to be discussing some of the things that are inside the good old huge city that the Chaos Dwarfs have as their capital. But I do think there's a few things worth mentioning, at least, and that's that we have a couple of conflicting timelines going on here in terms of when this material is dropped down originally and the dates that they used originally so if we consider the very first iteration of what we now know as chaos dwarves not the original chaos dwarves from war of fancy battle third edition which were just 
normal dwarves but mutated by chaos with a whole bunch of special war machines some of which were properly stupid let's just they're <laughs> just like, daft like the ass cannon <laughs> <laughs> but but i had them all in my armies because they were great but regardless to that um the uh white dwarf did a bunch of articles about adding chaos dwarves for fifth edition of the game um that was effectively still also usable for fourth edition as well let's just bring that up there from hammond so they have shut uh out <laughs> seriously hammond um but yes they did um so uh fifth edition of the game had a bunch of white dwarf articles uh written that included a whole bunch of new styled Chaos Dwarves with enormous hats, loads of gorgeous art put together by Mark Gibbons um, and also John Blanche. And it's fair to say they completely changed not just Chaos Dwarves, but the entire story around them, grounding them into the big world map that they had also released with White Dwarf over on the other side of the World's Edge Mountains and giving them a home pretty much for the first time ever, which was centered around their capital, Zarna Grund. And all manner of new details were added during this time, but they also added a little bit of a timeline. And the timeline says that effectively it happened during the Great Cataclysm. So the dwarves went up through the world's edge and some of them went burrowing off towards the east, deep into the east, chasing all of the mineral wealth that could be found over there, hiking their way across the plains, finding themselves over by the mountains of Morn as we know them today, and settling in there. And then the great cataclysm comes and they're completely isolated. And we all know what happens up north, for those of you who have watched our Bellacor video. Bellacor becomes effectively a god up there. Oh, Michael Thomas says, hey, looking forward to this one. Me too. Thank you very much. Um, deeply appreciated. And um, up in the north, uh, our first demon princes arise, our first gods that aren't one of the great four chaos powers or any of the elven gods or any of the other potential gods that will be added later into Warhammer lore down in say End for example or any of the gods that might be kicking around about Nehekara or whatever. So we've got our first true arrival of new gods coming into the world with Belakor being the perfect example of that. It would make sense that somewhere in amongst all of this hellish landscapes that are being created up near the gates that Hashat is also born during this period. He is given different titles and different uh, levels of power in different books. Sometimes mm. he's very clearly marked as a minor chaos god, which used to be a joke amongst my friends because chaos dwarves, a minor chaos god. <laughs> <laughs> is he the chaos god of mining by any chance? I didn't realize, I didn't realize you were friends with Hammond back then. <laughs> <laughs> I shall twist my mustaches and glee. <laughs> yeah, stupid joke. But nevertheless, he was um, often pitched as a minor chaos god. And that's because at that point, Warhammer had changed where previously the realm of chaos books had made it clear that there was loads of potential chaos gods and greater demons and weirdness going off over in the realm of chaos but with later lore it was the far four great powers of chaos and all the rest of it just wasn't or it was or it wasn't depending on which <laughs> book you read um and hashat did not fit into that model so hashat gets lowered and raised according to the book that you read but generally speaking he is always presented as this great burning god of hatred and tyranny and fire and ash a truly awful creature who is all about control. And also, because of the Chaos Dwarf nature as well, 
are all about construction. Although they don't often talk about that aspect of him, but the great demon engines that are created in his name and the great bindings that are done for demons um, into machines and similar uh, is all done in his great holy path, so to speak. So Hashat has got a definite character. He's a great demon god of some sort. Whether he is the equivalent of an enormous demon prince or an actual god, like, yeah, say, the horned rat. Um, That's what he is. <laughs> yeah, possibly. It's all down to uh, your own preference, really, because the books bounce up and down a little bit on it. But apparently it's during the Great Cataclysm, which is ages ago. We're talking thousands of years. But according to the timeline, they knock it as back just 4,000 4, years before the time of Sigmar, which is not far enough back. Yeah. And it's an interesting conflict there. Yeah, there is a um there is a quick someone make a meme of Sotek with an unhaged conspiracy theory board to explain how hash is really just Bellacore because everything is Bellacore. There needs there needs to be a there I would very much like a meme where you have two conspiracy theorists arguing with one saying every god is Ladriel and the other one saying every god is Bellacore and them <laughs> just like stabbing each other over it. Um, but yeah, there is a, a major issue because it seems like they kind of took the original timeline that was produced back in fifth edition when the broader timeline was different, but they just copy pasted it in the later edition. So it doesn't make sense anymore where yeah. if you're dealing with the cataclysm, you need to be back more like 5,600 years, not 4,000 years. Cause by 4,000 years, the cataclysm is already over. Like the, the vortex was already formed. Um, the demons were already banished. However, I do kind of love the idea that Cash It happened after the Vortex because it really introduces the concept that he's very, very weird, especially if you run with the idea that he was genuinely down somewhere deep in the darkness of the world and the Chaos Dwarf stumbled across him. Because then you have to ask yourself, well, what the hell is that? Like, uh, how is he down there? What is he doing down there? Which, you know, I've done uh, the Chaos Dwarf Q&A where we did a lot of theory crafting about. There's a lot of potential ideas as far as he could still be a demon or a demon god or a demon prince, but maybe one that escaped into the depths of the earth where magic technically is stronger. And he's been kind of leeching off the natural magic of the world to keep himself physical until the Chaos Dwarf stumble across him. Or you could even run with the idea that he's just something other that there's other things in the deep dark, which is a very well-established trope that's stolen straight from Tolkien's universe um, and many other universes where if you go down into the deepest, darkest pits of the earth, you're going to find things that you don't want to find. Like you, you don't want to go down there. Even if you're, even if it's not a demon though in Warhammer, we have notes that there are demons that can be found in the deepest, darkest pits of the world that by all rights shouldn't be there, but they are. And Hashit kind of, is in that vague category. Yeah, I agree. Broadly speaking, we've got ourselves uh, something of divine capability. This is a god that can provide not just miracles and magic and all the rest of it, uh, but someone that is capable of steering an entire species. Um, is this a classic, it requires faith to, for it to manifest, the dwarves needed it so it was their thing. I highly doubt it. That's bullshit. Um, the, the, the demon literally intervened. This demon god saved and mutated these chaos dwarves. And I think that is worth just stopping here because these are going to be the founders of Zarnagran. So it is worth just briefly taking a moment to consider 
how bad it must have been. Yes, we might have some dwarves here who have separated themselves from the rest of the world because they are now over on, let's say, the, they're not connected to the world's edge and all the rest of the holds. Mm -hmm. They're no longer connected to their ancestor gods. Apparently, they are calling out and they're receiving nothing in return. There is chaos coming in all sides. They are going to die. Every last one of them. A good dwarf would just die. Yep. But they don't. And that, I think, speaks to not just the chaos dwarves that were out there, as in the chaos dwarves to be, and their tone, as in this, these were clans who were clearly far more expeditionary. They're moving out. They're more forward-thinking. They are perhaps less tied to their tradition. They're doing things like hiking across plains to get over to the extra wealth. They're greedy. They're greedier. They are going off to other places because they're greedy. So perhaps you've got that as a tone. But I think it doesn't so much speak to the tone of the dwarves. It speaks to the tone of Hushut. And before I get onto that, Hammond is saying something. Uh, is there a reason why there could be demons slash minor gods deep down below because the Maw is in the core, therefore he provides them enough chaos magic? Well, this is way before the Maw. This is um, way before the Maw comes up, but good question, Hammond. Um, yeah. And the Maw is burrowing down and absorbing magics down there too. Yeah, the, uh, so the best thing to say is keep in mind that like the, the Great Warding or the Geomantic Web of the Slawn, that's in the mm -hmm. deep earth. Like It's mm -hmm. collecting the magic that is naturally caused by the planet itself. We don't have any explanations for how that work. Uh, I always kind of, in my head, I always kind of use like the good old Full Metal Alchemist universe explanation where it's literally the energy of the tectonic plates rubbing, you know, like the energy they release is able to be utilized by wizards in the Warhammer verse. And <laughs> in that case, that's kind of what it is. It's just a form of energy. <laughs> um, so uh, beyond that, CB4N, um, has shot whispered to these dwarves who were in absolute peril they're surrounded by demons they're surrounded by mutants the world is going to end for them but these greedy dwarves chose to survive and chose to answer to Hashat's whispers which means Hashat knew what to say mm -hmm. which means Hashat is not like other demons dwarves rarely fall to the depredations of the ruinous powers. The reason being, they're so bloody fucking stubborn. They just don't do it. It's just not their deal. It's not how dwarves work. They don't have the same needs and wants and desires of humanity, for example, who are known for falling. But Hashat said something to these dwarves that made the dwarves go, you know what? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm going to do this. We are going to do this. And they must all have agreed. It wouldn't have been one or two and all the rest of them just mutate because, because there'd been a big scrap. If it had just been one or two of them, they'd have been killed. If it had just been a king that had decided to do something or a queen that decided to do something, the clans would have rebelled because it's deeply undwarf. This is not the thing you're supposed to do. But they did. And that is an enormous story because it speaks to Hashat. Hashat Maybe the god of tyranny, maybe the god of control and fire and brimstone and artifice, uh, but he's also something that is intrinsically dwarfy. Mm. He is intrinsically tied in character to these dwarfs, and these dwarfs look to him and go, Yes, 
Now, exactly how that manifests is never really explored in any real depth, other than they decided to do it. Yay! We'll go over in that direction. <laughs> but I think if you're looking to, for example, give uh, Hashut a character, think first to the dwarves themselves and how dwarves could manifest really, really bad. How their stubbornness is often coming before a fall. How their need to have be ruled and rule as informing the proper traditional rules can break down and cause pain. And that is, I think, beginning to understand the concepts of who a shut is, but also look at what the Chaos Dwarves then do. They build and build and build, but don't build outside of what they need because they have all the natural resources that they require as we're about to move into, and they do not expand their empire very far. But as we're about to discover... Their city is arguably the biggest city in the world. Mm -hmm. It's given numbers of more than one place, and it's often given numbers of Chaos Dwarves of over a million, just the Chaos Dwarves. And that's not their slave population. That's the Chaos Dwarves. Now, they don't have many sorcerers, only a few hundred, but there are potentially millions of dwarves there, which means they outnumber probably most of the dwarven holds. Mm -hmm. They've got an empire and they're sat there, sitting behind their walls, doing whatever they need to do. It does suggest that it does suggest that there's a purpose here. Because dwarves don't just squat. They're doing something yeah, because they building. need their roasters. They're building. And we know one of the things they're building, this enormous, enormous, massive obsidian. Obsidian what? We're yeah. going to go on to exactly what it all is in a moment, but I think there is one question before we dive deep into all that for us to consider as we discuss the other parts, and that is Obsidian's anti-magical, which means that this is the biggest, giant, enormous demon trap you've ever seen. Yeah. So, uh, Song of Power, uh, the answer is yes. Um, there's yes. huge connections between them. Um, something we'll discuss a little bit in a bit. Hashit, Hashit is such a brutal example of like the potential of actually that it's frightening in that when you really look at like concepts of hatred and tyranny and greed these very inflamed emotions chaos dwarves are very emotional compared to regular dwarves um and he's fanning these flames he's fanning all of the most like aggressive expansionist consumerish uh aspects about the dwarves which is very action um and Very also much. he is a god that manipulates the fires of the earth unlike mm -hmm. anything else like there is virtually no other entity that can manipulate like the deep fires of the world like hashit can which is weird it's really weird and we'll get into that in a bit and it really does speak to a different character different part of um, hashit's character that whole down in the earth the magma bubbling up because it really does speak to him um uh do you want to take on this one first? yeah roderick uh would a regular dolly that learned sorcery from demonic pact also uh slowly turn to stone yes like yes. If, if a dwarf is using any form of magic that is dangerous and can result in them turning to stone um, yeah. um even like I'll, a smith could theoretically if they fuck up they will turn to stone yeah, we'll we'll discuss this a little bit because there's a whole bunch of stony um yeah, there's, there's a whole already. part of Zarnagran that is yeah indeed and we'll we'll dive into it there, but just in a general comment, dwarves and magic 
do not mix. And their etheric flows work very differently to the other species. And when magic flows through them, it causes change to their flesh as their flesh resists it until eventually everything shuts down. But it's not a short thing. This is something that takes centuries. It takes a very long time. Yeah, unless you really screw up or you get really unlucky, which is kind of hilarious. But it, yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and Dottis, this is why the Dawid Dawid are as dwarfs, but turned or my favorite of the Warhammer Fantasy races. You cannot separate the Dawizar from Hashit. Mm. Uh, yes, and we'll get into Hashit and his whole focus on like he's so tyrannical that he forcefully manipulates genetics, which is bonkers in a very sci-fi concept but warhammer fantasy is much more of a sci-fi setting than a lot of people realize it's got a it lot really of is in it. yeah and we're about to dive deep into it as we head towards an industrial revolution yep. um and then, the oh, oh another one matthew from uh matthew griffin do chaos dwarf form grudges yes Thanks, matthew they are chaos dwarfs have held on to a lot of their dwarven cultural things not everything yeah. but they've held on to a lot of them and grudges are one of them um, we don't have any indication that they have like a book necessarily, but I wouldn't be shocked if they did. Um, but they do keep grudges big time. I imagine they've got big, huge cuneiform pillars because that yep. would very much match their character to the T. Big uh, pillars. It flames these types of emotions of the chaos wars. Does that mean he chose them over anyone else for a particular reason? Could be. Um, yeah. Um, it's, it's... I would argue definitely yes. A shot almost certainly was. Flame, uh, fanning the flames of their hatreds, of their needs and their greeds for a long time before they eventually fell. So long before they were besieged, I imagine Hashat was down there slowly but surely changing these dwarves over the course of probably centuries because they do something super undwarfy, which means that you need to have yourself a certain amount of build-up before they immediately snaps yeah and the other thing we'll kind of get into with hashat is the thing hashat desires are not really possible by other races um i think hashat singled out the dwarves for very particular reasons because he could have gone after countless chaos tribes that were in the area many of which mm -hmm. like there's a lot of good lineup in the timeline that the tong who were like the scariest fucking chaos tribe to ever exist like they're mythical they're so scary <laughs> They, uh, they uh, likely surrounded and were responsible for Uzkalak's kind of isolation, if you go by that version of the timeline, which he could have gone to them. They were like one of the most powerful tribes ever, but they weren't good enough. He wanted the dwarves. Hey, Thomas, I actually love this question because it's, it's you can almost say the opposite as well, which is more fantasy, fantasy or 40k, because holy crap, it's <laughs> difficult to make a call sometimes. Yeah, a lot of people get too caught up in like, the most basics of the battle games like the weapons units are using and stuff like that that they kind of miss the forest for the trees um and they don't realize how like bonkers hilarious sci-fi because like the we get more information about the old ones in fantasy than we do in 40k which is really funny so I think this is an interesting one, Jonathan. Do the Chaos Dwarves honor their ancestors from before Hashat? And the answer is, by all evidence, no. Do if anything, what they, they do is they do respect age, but you've got to realize that that comes hand in hand with them living long enough to have that tyrannical power that they almost certainly would have gathered to their side. Um, Chaos Dwarves and age still have that same honor system going on the rest of the dwarves have, but there's no real evidence at all that they have deep ancestor worship. It has been entirely replaced by Hashat. Yeah, and it's worth noting that the Chaos Dwarves have a huge focus on the concept that weakness 
of any form is to be like crushed and to be looked down upon and they find it like repulsive so like they only respect you as you get older so long as you're getting more powerful that's something that um astrogoth iron hand is extremely worried about uh and is why he's gone through so much effort to make himself continuously more powerful because he started to get weaker because he's so old uh his magic isn't as strong as it used to be and the other chaos works are starting to notice um and that's a concern of his okay so um we need to move towards the founding of our city we got we got one more and then then uh (laughs) hey holy heart is the hat of grudges it's bigger the more grudge the well i did suggest a pillar <laughs> yeah so, um, the judges. yeah so uh, uh, i'll drop in my little bit first um the chaos dwarves that eventually leave from their underground passages presumably after the cataclysm presumably somewhere around four thousand years before the time of sigmar hey heron um could Hashat also be a renegade ancestor god yes um Definitely one that's perhaps fallen to chaos completely and has taken and become a demon prince, which is why potentially that uh, it's so dwarfy in nature. There is a strong argument that that could be the case when one of the holds fell in the old in the world's edge mountains. A whole a Karak Vlag was it Vlag, whichever one it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the main hold fell, and there could have been an ancestor there, and it wasn't so much that Hashat whispered to them; it's what Hashat led them elsewhere. Um, and there's a, a lovely argument on that one, but it is nothing more than theory hammer, not fact hammer. This isn't mm-hmm. something that's actually laid in, yeah, in the background. Um, it, in the background, possible. he's very much a demon chaos god. Yeah, because I mean, would... in, in the old lore, there was Skavor, who is kind of a renegade ancestor god, though it's like the dwarves are like, oh, he created the Skaven. Like, that's how weird the, the evil ancestor god yeah. could be. Yeah, and I think that if you were looking to uh, completely characterize Hashat and make sense of him, making him an ancestor god who had fallen to chaos would be one path that would be both unexpected by the vast majority of people out there, but matches up exactly with all of his traits completely. So it is a a route that you could take. All right, Uh, hey, if there's any more super chats after this, we will get to them, but we're going to talk for a bit. And then yeah, we'll, we are because y'all are being very generous. <laughs> we appreciate you, you all rock. Please just keep on throwing them at us. <laughs> yeah, we will get to them. Uh, could Hatch have been feeding off the dwarfin uh, daddy mommy issues of being abandoned by the ancestors? Absolutely, yeah. He, he could have yeah. been fanning those flames. Of in fact, who knows? He could have even been responsible for the reason the ancestor gods couldn't reach them and yeah. then was fanning that and moved into the gap that he caused. That's a possibility, totally. Definitely has done that. <laughs> the chaos dwarves that come out blinking into the sunshine are not the dwarves that went down. A shot and the deal that they make with a shot, and it is a deal. This isn't something that is uh, ephemeral and will sort yeah, of worship there you now. There is an explicit bargain. Of, uh, there is an explicit bargain, and that bargain brings enormous change. Enormous change. The dwarves that are down there stop being dwarves. Now, how long they're down there for? If you want to make sense of all of the timelines, probably from the Cataclysm up to when the timeline starts for the Chaos Dwarves, because that would sort of make sense, because that gives Mm. you the thousands of years necessary to rot change upon dwarves. Dwarves, by their very nature, are exceedingly resistant to chaos, exceedingly resistant to magic. They just do not get on with that stuff at all, as we all know from the main dwarves, who use runes to just be able to channel the magic and make it do stuff. 
They make magic work rather than actually channeling it, doing it themselves. So change is wrought upon these Chaos Dwarves. And in terms of your base Chaos Dwarf, they come out much more ashen of skin, tusked, red eyes, uh, often a bit more hunched and potentially, potentially open to mutation because dwarves don't mutate very much at all. Chaos Dwarves almost certainly mutate a bit more, but even then, there isn't that many mutant Chaos Dwarves. It's not like their ranks are full of tentacles and extra arms and 17 yeah. heads. The Chaos Dwarves are still pretty much representative of their species. They themselves have changed and they've become more like Hashat. That's the first one. And our second major change for our Chaos Dwarves are the Bull Centaurs, who in many respects come to represent and guard everything that is Hashat. The Bull Centaurs are a mixture of bull and dwarf, as ridiculous as that sounds. But it is absolutely the case, because the concept of the bull is central to Hashat. That stubborn animal, the bull that's bullish, so to speak. Big, red, burning bulls. Now, obviously, we have real-world reasons for that, why that's the case, because they're drawing upon ancient legends from the Middle East, and a whole bunch of those got all conflated together, mashed up, and then just turned into Chaos Dwarves. Um, whether it's Persian history, or whether it's a whole variety of other golden idols that are all bullish. Um, they are, in many respects, the source material for this and the ziggurats that they build as well but that's by the by because it's not the real world it's the warhammer world and these two completely new species come out chaos dwarves are basically two species your chaos mm. dwarf and your bull centaur they're not the same they are different and they come out and if you would Imagine approximately 6,000 years ago, this small group moving out into a hellscape filled with greenskins, ogres over there, hobgoblins up to the north, all manner of monsters. Your first thought would be they're possibly in trouble because there can't be that many of them. It's just a single Holdsworth that have been slowly but surely uh, changing over the course of centuries and they eventually come blinking through the sunlight wrong they are martial they are organized they're prepared and they are ready to not just fight but to conquer and their first job is empire building and their first part of that empire building is citing themselves over at we finally got there mingal czar nagarund which becomes the center of much of their civilization to come yeah and what's interesting is it was it was a long journey of uh, the distance mm -hmm. between Uzkalak and Minglesar Nagrand is hundreds of miles like it is a long fucking trip and it's not and to put to express how difficult it is you're also going from uh Zornu's cool which is a plateau it is really really high up uh it's exceedingly high altitude and they had to not only cross hundreds of miles but also find a place where they could navigate down from zornu's cool to the actual plain of zarduk which is like the main uh area and then from there they wandered back to until they found the river and they followed the river down and down into a crater and they went to this crater which is the actual plain of zarduk past that is the uh, the rest of the dark lands uh but you go to the plain of zarduk which is a crater and then within that crater, there's another crater at the very, very deep, dark part of it. At the deepest pit is where they founded Mingulzar Nagrand, where the river ruin, as it's now known, crossed into this crater and it reached this kind of bottom point 
which to me suggests there was something there. Like there's a very specific reason they went to that spot before they started to build. So it's not the first time this has happened where we've got ourselves a group of people moving to a place because of a god. This happens later with the Kislevites. Mm -hmm. So don't think this is a unique occurrence. Indeed, I would go further and say that perhaps the other story is worth looking at. I'm almost certainly we'll do that with a later stream so that we can see that perhaps there's a certain amount of bridging going on because it's again in the far north, potentially a super powerful entity. And this, in one case, one born of ice, and in this case, one born of fire. Um, incredibly powerful entity, a holdout from the cataclysm, probably a, a great demon prince probably a demon god or some other version of it and it seems likely that the chaos dwarves were going somewhere because they were effectively summoned it does feel very likely that regardless of the fact that this place is redolent with all kinds of extremely important minerals that they can use to create everything they're about to start creating that almost seems beside the point given that we are in the center of a huge fuck off crater that's called quite literally the plane of fire because of all the lava that's already twisting through here, all of the volcanic activity in this area. It's not a friendly place to call home, but they chose to go down into this to make this their home, the heart of the industry that they're about to begin to found their city down here and make sure it's super clear in your mind to found and centralize their religion as well. Just, just chuckling at that. That's quite a good one. Um, because this is where the cult of Hashat, for once for better description, where the great worship of Hashat becomes centered. And what they build is extraordinary. Yeah. And what's interesting is so the very, so supposedly the founding of Mingleshar Nagarund is somewhere like 2700 ish years before Sigmar. And What's interesting about the way that the city is raised is it's not just through construction. In fact, sorcery is very heavily implied to have been the first big thing they did, that the very earliest sorcerer prophets were said to have literally raised Zarnagrim from the earth using nothing but magic, which is bizarre, especially because, once again, and I think it's worth taking a little detour on this, it's made of fucking obsidian. So obsidian. obsidian, yeah. For those who don't know, um, obsidian, of course, exists in our world, though it doesn't have the same properties. But obsidian is mm -hmm. volcanic glass. Um, it's very fucking hard to work with material. It's extremely sharp. It's like one of the sharpest materials on Earth, and, and it shatters. Yeah, it shatters like material to build with. Um, yeah, yeah. And yet, that's what they choose to make it out of, which is further mm -hmm. weird because it's very resistant to magic. It is yep. the anti-magic material to the point that if you're going to take on a wizard, if you could shoot them with like an obsidian arrow or something like that, that wizard is fucked. Like fucked. They're, they're not going to have a good time. Yep. And Okay, so um, let's, let's just contextualize this just to make sure we are super yeah, clear. That's a tiny arrowhead. And so it takes spot on. You get yourself an obsidian arrowhead into you as a wizard, your magic stops working. 
you get yourself an obsidian blade plunged into you or an obsidian blade touching other artifacts. It tends to disrupt the magic working them. It stops magic artifacts working. Some people have purposely built, Malachith have purposely got himself an obsidian blade to stop other artifacts from working to provide him with the advantage that he has for thousands of years worth of training with a fucking sword, which means, you know, hey, look at all my magic. Oh, fuck. As he just goes, hey, <laughs> thousands of years worth of training, carve. Elves can do that shit. They have built their entire fucking city out of this stuff. Small amounts of it is enough to completely stop, entirely stop magic. And they've done this for clearly a reason and their sorcerer scientists have found a way to get around it and i think the second half of that combo is something we must always remember the good old prophet sorcerers or whichever particular term you want to go for are not just sorcerers they're mm. sorcerer scientists they are extremely intelligent and they approach their magic in more ways than just one. For them, there's a lot more science going on through it. They're not just immaterial using the realm of chaos or the aether, if you're an elf, depending on your preferred term. They are using the science of the material realm as well. So they are using both their magic and science to bring up something that magic alone could not bring up because obsidian is almost in possible to use with magic in the slightest. You cast a spell at Obsidian, it does nothing. The Empire has an entire hall of Obsidian sitting inside the Bright College for magical duels, so they can throw their most powerful spells, hit it into the chest of another wizard, and it almost bounces. All it does is it pushes them back a little bit, so they hmm. can have their big wizard duels and not kill each other. This whole city is made of it. It's actually crazy and it speaks to a bigger project why has Hashap put them there where all this obsidian is why are they building this what are they doing for Hashat? exactly it's one of those questions that if we'd been in command of the good old end times there would have been a fucking answer <laughs> <laughs> anywho uh, before we get off on that rant uh, so so Zarnagrund, the earliest stages of it are raised from the earth. It seems like the best way I could probably rationalize it is a very powerful ritual was unleashed by the Sorcerer Prophets, which used the... Because the, the lore of Hashut manipulates the earth itself through magma. It literally mm -hmm. causes superheated material to gather and manipulate the earth, and they can create like ash storms, they can make lava burst from the ground, all this stuff, which Obsidian is it's volcanic glass. So it is. theoretically, if you were going to try and manipulate Obsidian without manipulating it directly, that would be the best way to do it. So mm -hmm. they push up all this Obsidian into this giant fucking mountain. And this thing, I cannot express to you guys how big Mingles Arnagrand is. It is not yeah. a city as we think of it, where it's like, oh, you know, you have like a, a plane that you're building on, you got buildings and stuff. It is a giant fucking tower that is thousands upon thousands of feet high yeah and i mean each each one of the steps is several hundred feet high and there's only four gates that go into it the gates to east and west are the primary gates through and they are on one of the tiers almost the entire height of it so big that it dwarfs well the dwarfs um <laughs> making their way through it and the gates to north and south the river ruin passes through that and here's a good way to get the scale the entirety of the chaos dwarf sea fleet harbors inside the city all of it 
And if you've ever played Man of War or ever watched any of the various Chaos Dwarf C bonuses that they have, it's not a small fucking fleet. Their warships are freaking enormous massive war engines and these are not your oh i'm i'm going out by sale am i no these are proper steam driven and sometimes demon driven engines with massive paddles that can pretty much go across the ocean from one end to the other if they wish and they dominate the oceans whenever they come out but they don't come out that often they only come out when they need more slaves and they need more resources because they're working towards something they're building and they're building so they've got the ability to go down the entire length of the river ruin down towards the sea in the south or alternatively because you know they're chaos dwarves they built a canal up a fucking waterfall and then over to the north sea of the sea of chaos up towards the north all the way through and then burst through all the ice up there and they come out with not just five or six but sometimes scores of ships and when they're particularly let's say desperate for resources hundreds will come out and they all harbor inside the city and the harbor is not the main part of the city that's just a part of the city the river that runs through the center of it inside the enormous ziggurat as we said millions live within it yeah and it's it's worth thinking about how impressive the initial raising of the mountain was and then the chaos dwarfs start carving each of these steps into its ideal shape for it where you have a hundred you know hundreds of foot tall walls is platform one which then has a city within it and then there's another hundreds foot tall platform that has a higher tier city within it and then another and then another and we and then on top of that, there's a fucking giant temple uh, at the very tippy top. In many respects, you're right here, Mandatis, um, in that it's not entirely unlike the industry of Baradur, not Baradur, I mean, not Mordor. Um, it's not unlike it, but it is in classic Warhammer fashion taken to uh, dialed up to 11. I mean, yeah. everything's dialed up to 11 in Warhammer. Look at their hats. Um, that's probably why they need such big gates to get into their city in the first place. And <laughs> <laughs> entirely dialed up to 11 because this city is utterly mental in terms of how big it is yeah so this city gets built and as the chaos dwarfs they all move into it which i imagine was not easy at first they probably had to move in like a lot of earth and other various materials to ensure that they could build properly within it with structures and they started building carving out mines around it started digging out giant holes in the ground giant pits where they could just dump things and they started enslaving everything around mingles Arnagran for hundreds of miles yeah. everything greenskins ogres humans anything they could get their grubby little paws on was theirs and they yeah. started working on the art of total and utter domination it sadly though almost uh comes to a crashing end multiple times because of this um, the Chaos Dwarves don't actually number that much in numbers for the city as a whole, which I find quite fascinating, given that they have dropped a number of a million at one point. The number of greenskins that they've got inside that city massively outnumbers them. And they end up having rebellion after rebellion after rebellion, because greenskins like a good fight. And they don't, well, you've got that many of them in one place. The amount of wire energy when you don't keep them down is going to constantly surge up, which causes all manner of issues. I think it's worth also saying, though, that in the earlier years, there were far fewer chaos dwarves. There may have only been, to begin with, a few hundred 
that move to a few thousand, that move to something else. It also potentially speaks to something that may be different between the Chaos Dwarves and the Dwarves. And it's something that's not expressly said anywhere, but it's also not, not expressly said. And that is, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a 50-50 split of gender here, of sex, because uh, there's far more Chaos Dwarves arguably getting born than there mm. are normal dwarves. Yeah, Jonathan Scott. Uh, so essentially, kind of the the answer is kind of. So the Chaos Dwarfs took every. The best way to kind of think about why the Chaos Dwarfs are so scary is imagine dwarfs, but with no restrictions, with nothing holding them back. No, like they don't really have a moral compass holding them back. They don't have tradition holding them back. They are completely off the reins, and that includes with rune magic where the dwarves have very strict laws when it comes to rune magic, how it can be used, how it can be taught, how it can be utilized, how it's supposed to be performed. But the chaos wars threw all that shit to the wind and have just focused on maximizing it as much as possible. And Hashit has taught them how to grossly pervert the concept of rune magic, where instead of it being where there is such, where regular dwarves are kind of functionally um, taking their, their, rune hammers and their anvils of doom and they're taking like the magic in its purest form like essentially high magic and binding it into runes to performing a specific function the chaos dwarves adapted rune magic to its ultimate potential of taking entire fucking demons and binding them into items so that the items themselves become demonic artifacts that are alive but forced to form specific functions I'm loving this comment coming in. Let me also add one other thing. You've got to remember that um, most of the runic magic development happens uh, after the Chaos Dwarves left. Um, a great deal of it comes afterwards. Um, it gets passed down to them from their ancestor gods, ancestor gods that had turned their back on the Chaos Dwarves. Um, so you'll find that there's a very strong uh, narrative break there if you wish it to be there i.e. any writer who creates Chaos Dwarves can give them as much or as little runic knowledge as they want and be justified by the background mm. because they had separated themselves and it was early years before the great cataclysm and all the runes were being built. All the technology in place at that point is high tech. We're talking proper future vision shit as the old slan, all the way back to the old ones, doing their crazy stuff are in place and then the cataclysm comes they're separated off somewhere runes are created all over the place the ancestor gods are building all manner of stuff and the chaos dwarves are separated from much of that arguably depends on which timeline you go with though you could have a timeline where they know it all because they've had a good three thousand years almost um steeped in that sort of lore before they're separated so yeah there's different angles that you could certainly take and i love this one does obsidian affect wah energy? One of the reasons they built their city with it to be to have that many green-skinned slaves, or is this a happy side effect? I think it's probably a happy side effect in that there was a reason that the city has been built the way that it has been built, and Hashut is almost certainly the one that's pushing this forward. They are worshipping Hashut like nobody's business. The top of that entire city is the enormous temple to Hashut, the bullheaded god. He's right up there. And does it stop Y energy? The answer is yes, it does. Yeah, yeah which is... Yeah, which is pretty critical because keeping that many greenskins in one place is a complete disaster waiting to happen. And to be fair for, to the Chaos Wars, it is <laughs> it a does. disaster that happens a few <laughs> times. But uh, it would have been 
so much worse if the city was not made out of the material it's made out because shamans are virtually useless um in a city like that any wizard would be pretty much useless unless they know what they're doing like the sorcerer Mm -hmm. prophets Mm -hmm. um and there's also something to be said kind of focusing i think in on the concept of why it's built out of obsidian you have to keep in mind that the chaos dwarf sorcerers and the demon smiths are constantly working with horrific amounts of magic and sorcery they Mm -hmm. are using uh andy mentioned this earlier Mengel's Arnagrand is a trap. It is designed where the Chaos Horse will perform ritual sacrifices and all sorts of different things, a lot of which is taught to them by Hatchet. They perform very special ceremonies to lure demons in by tricking them in with offerings or trying to learn their true names and drawing them in that way. They use all sorts of rituals to summon and lure demons in who then once they get there, they get trapped, which normally is a, even if you know what you're doing, like you're a very, very skilled demonologist, trapping demons is really fucking hard. Espe- mm. Even just like the most basic bitch lesser demons. But Chaos Wars are regularly capturing greater demons and other yeah. horrifically powerful entities. And that's because they've built literally like the perfect cage. When they yep. get a demon to kind of manifest, that demon is, suddenly they're in a place where they're utterly starved. Like, they're there there's a physical form the chaos dwarfs will have some sort of ritual or magical artifact that's giving them enough to stay in that spot but suddenly they realize there's no winds for them to feed on there's yep. there's nothing they're they're completely stuck one of the great um one of the great qualities of the chaos dwarves is that they make pretty much all of the coolest demon shit that there is out there if you've ever read about a great demon artifact, it's very likely it was at least sourced in with the Chaos Dwarves. Many of the enormous quantities of Chaos Armor suits that are out there have been crafted by the Chaos Dwarves, many of which are also interlaced with demons. Uh, they've got demon engines that are quite literally capable of moving by themselves because they're possessed by demons. Um, but they don't just work with demons as we understand it. The Warhammer world is a little bit less black and white than that. The concept of a demon is effectively something that lives from the realm of chaos, comes from there originally. But the realm of chaos is much more than just the realm of chaos. There's all manner of spirits and oddities over on the other side. And that includes, for example, all manner of actuary spirits, um, the act fire spirits. And these are very closely, very closely related to the types of magic that particularly appeals to the priests of Hashat. And they are often pulling in enormous fire demons, for want of a better description, from the planes of fire that lie on the other side and manifesting them into all manner of engines that burst full of fiery power and can just melt anything around them. Hey, Hammond. Going back to Andy's magic versus religion rant, is the lore of Hashat more so Hashat's blessings instead? Would that be why Hashat magic can be used there? No, it's 100% magic. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. magic. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, so uh, I think focusing... Like sorcerers. Yeah, focusing, I think, on the city itself, just because that is technically what we're here to do. Uh, it is. I think it's worth breaking down uh, at this point what exactly we know about Minkles Arnagrand, which is not a ton, but there are some really interesting tidbits. Um, which the first is, so we've talked about its size and that it's literally a mountain. And I, I saw some people in chat asking earlier, it, it appears like a mountain as you're approaching it. Like, even though it's down in this crater, it comes 
way out. Um, like you would think you're approaching a like the lonely mountain when you're marching close, only to realize although, although it's regular, um, because it's a proper ziggurat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't think it's a natural mountain, but you'd be like, yeah, yeah. oh my god, that thing's huge. But, it, but it's a fucking mountain. Mm -hmm. Um the other thing that we know, um, that's of course extremely important is that the very tip top layer is the great temple of Hashut. Yep. And it is big. It is a giant. It's not like, even though it's on the top layer, so therefore the smallest layer, it's not like it's an itty bitty thing. It is a full size temple dedicated to this god. And that's where the bull centaurs hang out. Uh, the bull centaurs act as the, uh, let's see, Mendetas, besides keeping the winds and demons dampened and caught, perhaps the obsidian is also why the wider world doesn't seem to realize they exist. Mm. Um, it, it's the wider world, it's more due to a lack of exposure. Um, yeah. And that getting there is so hard, and there's there's no reason to go there. Um, yeah, to die. There, the slave the slave raiding parties that come out from the empire of the chaos dwarves um, uh, raid far and wide, meaning that very few will ever see it without being captured. I mean, and once you're captured, you're not getting away again. So it's not so much that the wider world doesn't know about it because of magic. They don't know about it because they're very, very good at what they do, which is enslaving other people, dragging them back home, working them till they die, and enslaving more people. There's just little out there that anyone's interested in, so there's no reason to go out into these plains. They're filled with greenskins and worse that are constantly at war with each other in the Chaos Dwarves. It's just, I think it's more a matter of situation rather than necessarily trying to look for extra magical reasons for why this is the case. Yeah, but uh, so the Bull Centaurs, they live in this top level, the Great Temple of Hashit. They are its temple guardians. They are the they are seen as the sacred representatives of Hashit himself, and they protect his things. And they also accept offerings on the part of Hashit and perform a lot of rituals to keep Hashit fed. Because one of the th things that's very interesting about Hashit, almost in the kind of a sense of what you would expect from a fire god and a god of greed, is that Hashit is very demanding. He wants very. constant sacrifice. And there are lots of people that are brought up to the hot top level that the bull centaurs, who are noted as cannibals, which is interesting because that kind of implies they eat chaos dwarfs or other bull centaurs, but mm -hmm. that at the very least they're flesh eaters. Um, there's often, they will eat a lot of the sacrifices that come up, but what they're technically supposed to be doing is throwing people into these big vats of molten metal, which apparently feeds Hashit. And Hashit is very big into blood rituals, blood sacrifice, things Love that involve that. torment and death and agony. Um, his rituals come at extreme cost. Uh, let's see. The Silver Road runs near the Black Fortress and Tower of Gorgoth. Do the Ogre Guards just keep the Darwizar far enough away that they're kept a rumor? So, so Cheshire Grin, great question. But the thing is, is that when you're looking at the, the Ivory Road or the Silver Road, you have to realize that on the map, while it looks like they're very close together, it's really not. Like, it's if not. you were to zoom in, there's lots and lots of miles between those distances. And the caravans that pass through those areas, they're the caravans that travel those roads are not caravans. They're armies, giant fucking armies that try to make themselves look as intimidating as possible. So the chaos dwarfs and the monsters and everything will look at them and go, eh, it's probably not worth it. Yeah, but and most of them are escorted by an enormous amount of ogres as well that are in that area. Yeah, who um, know, know yeah. the area and know how to get past. But those I would argue that threats. for those who are down there, they're much more than just a rumor. Um, these are a known and hmm. uh, and and feared enemy 
um, uh, for those who are down there. It's just that with the focus that most of the literature from Warhammer provides, which is old world centric, often empire centric, the Chaos Dwarves are so far away from that that they're beyond a rumor. They're just not discussed at all. But the closer you get to them, the more that this black rumor, this fiery rumor, this awful rumor that sits towards the north becomes more of a fact. Um, so I would, I would dismiss the the rumor part a bit, but also simultaneously 100% agree with what uh, Sotek's saying there, which is, loosely speaking, it's a big distance. Yeah. An, an important thing to get across is that the Chaos Horse are not like the Skaven. It's not like if you're in the Empire and you're like, oh, Chaos Horse are a thing. There's nobody that's like, oh, you're like, you're not going to get like shot for being a weirdo, or people are not going to like look at you weird on the street. Now, a dwarf might is probably going to physically assault you for bringing it up, but the chaos orbs are kind of seen as a i guess they're real or like maybe they're not like they can't be that bad or i've never heard of that that's probably ridiculous it's just who cares would be kind of the biggest thing like people got their own problems and think of it this way think about how close norska is and how common we think demons are there are a lot of people in the empire who do not believe demons exist yeah they just don't. It, it, it's kind of the same thing plus as well um don't get your god view in the way of what the view on the ground is. A God view, as in us who have relatively objective facts and stories written in books, we can look at it and go, well, that's who they are. That's where they come from. Where the chap on the street making his way along that road, he sees a big piling army come thundering in with cavalry and big huge blunderbusses and rockets firing through the skies demonic engines coming down as well they don't know they're demonic engines they just see effectively a bunch of fiery dwarves arriving if anything they're more like fire slayers from age of sigmar than they are chaos per se they're yeah. really not chaos they don't think they're in mutations and bubbly stuff and shouting blood for the blood god. Quite the opposite. It's all for something they've never heard of. A god they've never heard of. Creatures they've never seen before. They're just weird dwarfs. That's all they are. Anyway, yes is the answer to that one, CEO of Necromancy. Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, Great Temple of Hatchet. Thank you. We have these molten vats. People are being thrown into them. Sacrifices constantly being made. And it's not, what's interesting is the Sorcerer Prophet's while they are in charge, because they're called Sorcerer Prophets for a good reason, they hold, they're kind of like the mage priests of the Lizardmen, where they hold the highest governmental, religious, and uh, sorceress job. Like they are the top echelon in all facets of society. They often do not make the sacrifices themselves. They usually lead it to the bull centaurs. They observe ceremonies. Uh, new, new chaos. No, they pretty much, much only trade with the chaos tribes to the north for very specific reasons. Yeah, and ogres, but that's about it. Ogres, but even then, not much. Yeah, no, they, they, there, there they are, enslave ogres. Yeah, there are a couple tribes that are friendly with them, but those yeah. tribes are also not super well liked by other ogre tribes because they're a little nasty. But yeah. um, so below the Great Temple, uh, the level below that is often implied to be where the foundries are, the the forge foundries of the Chaos Dwarfs, mm. um, which there are. I think it states that there's something like. I think there's like 12 great foundries um, or something along those lines within the actual city itself or the upper no, portion. There's, there's thousands. Um, they, they mark the word thousands for the forges and et al in more than one place. Um, but as different writers have come in, they've attempted to characterize some of them and say there's there's this many of this sort and this many of this sort. Um, but there's a lot. In a sort of, 
there's there's a lot i think is the answer we've got a city of million stroke millions depending on which version you go with and almost all of it internally is centered around industry dirt and grime and work and it's not industry from the medieval era or the renaissance we're talking late late 1800s early 1900s uh in fact going right into first world war tech the ships that they're building are first world war second world war versions the rockets that they are building are post second world war we're almost at modern times and they're bigger way bigger with ranges that just make our weaponry except for intercontinental ballistic stuff look pretty dodgy but they're also demon laced meaning that the rockets can go and then just vanish and then appear somewhere else and land down in the worst of it we have got ourselves a massively advanced tech species working out from the uh, plane here and the inside is where everything is built some of these foundries are enormous crafting huge ships in their shipyards massive flying machines everything else that you could possibly imagine all of which are the heat is enormous the ash the fallout people die a lot in there it yeah, is full of slaves what did the Taurus and Druki think of one another? Uh, I've covered a lot of these types of questions in the Q&A series, but generally when you have two races that are that level of arrogant and you put them in the same room, it's not going to go over super well. Um, like, it, you there, could... There's, I think you can answer it with a really easy one. One is chaos aligned and one is not. And for all, Hashat is definitely its own god. It is definitely chaos aligned. The Dark Elves are not. The Dark Elves are evil, they are not chaos, which is an enormous difference. Yeah. Like, have there been moments between them potentially out across the great oceans with like a black arc, maybe trading or something like that? Maybe. But a lot of the time they're going to be attacking each other. Um, they're not, they're not, neither of them are well known for diplomacy. Uh, because no. why, why use diplomacy when you could just use force? Um, Seems cast horse are only debatably rivalry by the Skaven technology, only Clan correct. Scryer, and that is correct. Um, yeah, but even correct. then, Clan Scryer is more about raw power and building as quickly as possible and as much as possible without regards for anything else. Whereas the Chaos Dwarfs care more about craftsmanship, um, mm -hmm. and like individual prowess. So when they fight, it's bad. Um, and they are they are equal in a sense, but it's different demonstrations of power. Yeah, the, the Chaos Dwarves are reliable. Yeah, They come out with some proper crazy shit and some proper demonic nonsense. Um, but, they're in, but their siege weaponry is unlike any other. Their abilities are almost unlike any other. The big difference between the Skaven and the Chaos Dwarves is the Chaos Dwarves very, very, very rarely go out to war. They are largely defensive. As others come to them, they will take them on and normally win. But they are not known for going out. Even when the great incursions of chaos come, you often find that they will just send a few allies along. They'll send a few priests. They'll send a few weaponsmiths or some equivalent, some siege weapons, some extra bits, but only a few. They're attached at the edge of the great hordes. They are not actually marching to war because apparently Hashat has got some better business for them to do, be dealing with. Yeah, but... So looking back at Mengo's Arnagram, we talked about the forges and foundries, but one, one of the things we do know that's very interesting why the city is built where it was is that the parts of Zarnagram that get the hottest 
and are the most dangerous to work with are on the bottom level. And it's because they all filter down into the river and they use it as a cooling system because the river ruin, which comes down from the falls of doom uh, and is, is super fucking cold. It is falls like, of doom. Yeah. Yeah. The falls of doom. <laughs> and uh, as oh, it comes that. through the city, it does two main things, which is the first is that it cools off the most important parts of the uh, machines of industry and mingles are Nakrund, which use the river to keep themselves from overheating and breaking down. And the second thing is that it takes all of the refuse or all of the chemicals and the offshoot that is no longer valuable to them. All the just the super nasty, gross aspects of industry and carries it out of the river to the point that when the river ruin leaves the south gate of mingles are Nagrund, it is a yellow greenish sludgy mess that is said to be so toxic that it literally has these like yellow it has like a yellow acidic fog that comes off of it that if you were to breathe it in would probably deal it'd basically be like mustard gas taken yeah. to another level Tsar Nagarund is a hive world it, it's a proper that's hive a great way to put it. that's a great yeah, way to put it if you know your 40k lore Think of it like a hive city, because that's what it is. Right at the very top, you've got your leaders who are living in the wonderful temple idealism at the top, tyrannically ruling over everything down below. And the further down you get, the more hot it gets, the more despair rules. And there's chaos dwarves everywhere, hobgoblin whip masters everywhere, because there's more hobgoblins in Zarnagarund than almost any other species. There are horrible industries everywhere but it is a functioning society don't think of this as uh, uh an evil cackling uh ridiculous society it's not this is a functioning society um they are That's living in homes <laughs> um, they are living in homes they have got wives and children i know this mm. is ridiculous okay but start thinking about this as the realistic place that it has to be they've all got jobs that they do They've got an enormous number of slaves that are largely responsible for not the work and the industry. They're largely responsible for the mining, for the extracting of the ores, for the grunt work. And one of the great things about the slowly expanding Chaos Dwarf uh, Empire is that the slave economies that they have are much less interested in uh, helping them do the stuff around the house and everything similar. They're dwarves. They're very sensible and practical. They're about doing literally about carrying important people around grunt work to their core. And they're mostly down the mines. And that's, I think, the next part to loosely say about this place. It's not just surrounded by mines and works and heavy machines working down towards the very base of the earth. It is absolutely surrounded. Everywhere you go for hundreds of miles around, it's works after works after abandoned mine after abandoned mine. And also the remnants of more battles you can shake a stick at because the Greenskins have come up in rebellion against them multiple times. So much so that approximately 300 years before the time of Sigmar, they started a whole scientific stroke sorcery <sighs> project, which is yeah. a big one we can't skip by because yeah. it's fundamental to the Warhammer world as a whole fundamental to their character took them a good few hundred years and was also fundamental to who Hashat is because Hashat doesn't appear to be just intrinsically interested in the dwarves but also in the dwarves being completely and utterly in control of 
the green skins. Again, yep. it feels really dwarfy. They want to control the green skins because they're an enemy and use them. It really does feel dwarfy. Yep. And just to answer this, Richard, just because uh, we won't probably be coming back to the River Ruin, it literally just goes south through the Darklands, past uh, the Black Fortress, out into what's known as the Mouth of Ruin, where it exits out into the Sour Sea. Um, sea of Despair. Is, sea of Despair. Yeah, yeah sorry. Sea of Despair. Yeah. Sea of Despair. Uh, which is uh, nasty. Because, <laughs> of course, the Sea of Despair. <laughs> um, but. Uh, not a great place because it's so toxic it's just awful um yeah no good place to yeah so as Andy was saying the dwarves had spent at this point a, somewhere in the ballpark of 2400 years ish having greenskin slaves all over the place so hundreds of millions of greenskins have probably been gathered and died over the yep. course of these thousands of years and the chaos dwarves for all that they are cautious about a lot of things when it comes to expansion there are a lot of notes where the Chaos Dwarfs, under Hashit's teachings, have really lived by the ideology that they're very keenly aware of the fact that most forces in the world go out and they, they're they too aggressive. The, whether you're looking at the tribes of the north or the greenskin tribes, they, they run out and they start fighting everybody and they, over, they overstretch themselves and they peter out. Mm -hmm. And the Chaos Dwarfs can't afford to do that. Because if they do, they're going to die out and it's going to be bad. So they very slowly and meticulously expand. And the other thing about Zarnagrand is it's always being added on to. It's always growing yeah. larger, which is terrifying. Um, there's always, it's constantly under construction, endlessly. Yeah, ever growing larger. And it's also described as an iceberg, which is even more horrifying. Because for all that we've described how big the city is, that's only the tip. The vast majority of Mengel's Arnagron is below the earth in the form of mines and uh, parts of like an undercity and just deep, deep, literally described as miles down into the earth. I think this is an interesting point, Sam, um, because Hashat does appear to be very hands-on and it does suggest that it could be a remnant of the cataclysm and one of the earliest types of demon princes like Belakor himself who is actually in the Warhammer world, physically manifested, perhaps underneath this enormous temple um, where they've come. That would be one answer to that. It would work particularly well if there was a literal dwarf underneath there who was a shot, for example. He's a living ancestor that is powering them all. That would work. Or it's a demon prince that came from the north and was driven out by Belakor. That would work. Or it's somehow another god that's somehow manifested. All of those work. But the hands-on part, I think, is definitely the case. Yeah. But uh, as, as we're looking at the Chaos Force expansion, there's one area that they were not conservative, and that was in drawing in greenskins loads yep. of them but they were able to handle it there'd be rebellions every once in a while sure the greenskins would try and fight back but the the chaos horse were able to just overwhelm them through superior arms and firepower and beat them back down and the greenskins eventually learned to be properly afraid of them but in the typical and, form of greed they didn't yeah in <laughs> a in a, an expression of greed the likes of which is borderline unrivaled in its level of stupidity looking back the Chaos Dwarfs decide to do something absolutely mad, which is they, to put it bluntly, decide to genetically experiment and enhance. That, 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 that comes for a reason. It comes because they are almost wiped out. Um, there's multiple rebellions against Chaos Dwarf rule. The first ones, they barely suppress and put down. Um, uh, however, one 
takes over almost the entirety of Zarnagarund. Uh, we don't know who the warlord was, but it was a green-skinned warlord, and almost all of Zarnagarund falls. So we've got the Chaos Dwarf species almost entirely being wiped out. Um, a very few remain. The sorcerers at the top, some Chaos Dwarves, they got fought up to, I think, like the second last tier, up to the top before eventually they then crushed the Greenskin Rebellion and pushed back down. They are, at this point, uh, incredibly low numbers. We're almost as low as perhaps when they very first came out and tried to settle down here. Um, we're not talking about the modern version where they have massively expanded in terms of their population number. Um, and they're in trouble because they have an enormous empire that they need to tend to. And it's not small because the, by this point, they've spread out across the Plain of Bone beyond it and uh, created several extra large, enormous mines around about them. And many of them are connected. There's canals, there's trains and equivalents carrying ore all the way back to the capital to be used for all their experiments. And they needed to maintain their uh, dominance, not just because it was an important part of ensuring that their civilization continued. It's their character. It's what they do. And that is what straight started them off on genetically modifying greenskins, which is I think, I think frankly mental. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a mix up there because it's the Black Orc Rebellion that causes the rebellion that gets all the way up to the second tier. Oh, you're right. That is the one that gets up to the second yeah, tier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, no, you're right. It's all the rebellions first and then that one. I, yeah, I, I do you agree. Cut I in. Do, uh, you should have no, cut no. in. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I do agree, though, that it is that the Chaos Wars wanted more control over their empire but realized they couldn't do it. There's mm -hmm. not enough of them. Like, even, even at because that's just one of the things that's really interesting about the chaos wars is a lot of people look at their empire and go wow they control the whole darklands they don't they control their city and a little space around it and that's it <laughs> they don't control anything else uh mm -hmm. and they just send stuff to each other through their armored convoys on their trains um but they they really don't control much at all of the darklands which is how the ivory road and the silver road are able to pass through without much issue a lot of the time but so but andy's right in that they wanted more control and yes. they also wanted more reliable slaves because greenskins, for all the they're good in that there's a lot of them, they're not the best workers. They get distracted easily. They die easily when it's like really, really they hot. Rebel. They, they rebel. rebel. They rebel. They're, they're sneaky fuckers and they rebel. And so there was a chaos dwarf, unnamed, who one of the sorcerer prophets, uh, there's probably a good reason his name was not recorded. Uh, he sat down and said, what if we had a slave that we could make populate as quickly as greenskins do because that's the best thing about them um uh we will get to the hell cannons those are actually relatively modern we will get to those um but what if we had a slave that could populate as easy as greenskins do but had the stamina of an ogre but did everything we told them to because we made them yeah overseers what if we had greenskins we could rely on as overseers yeah, so they started doing genetic experiments, which you may say, wow, that sounds really futuristic. Once again, Chaos Wars are fucking bonker sci-fi. Yeah, um, sorcerer scientists. They're sorcerer yeah. scientists, and they worked right down into how orcs work and figured it all out and then removed the part that made them fractious yeah. and boosted them a bit. So they yep. basically made an uber orc, an orc that was no longer filled with that animosity that all orcs have for anything around that need to 
constantly fight and push up and one one upmanship everything around them until eventually one of them rises bigger and better than the rest and swells up in size and puts down the rest as a they warlord. Made orcs, they made orcs that did not have ADHD. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bring it out. In some respects, they made warlords that didn't need to go through the process of becoming warlords. Um, they, they made them pre-warlord. They cut out that section and just went, no, we're going to make them like this from the beginning. Oops. And to be fair, they completely succeeded. <laughs> they created the Black Orc, which is bigger, tougher, mm. virtually never needs to rest, and mm. they're Cleverer. smart. They're yeah, smart. really smart. And they yeah. don't get distracted. Black Orcs are notoriously kind of weird by greenskin standards because they don't have fun like other greenskins do. They don't hoot and holler and loot and smash to have a good time. They're focused. We is business. Yeah, which is oh, very business. scary. And the Chaos Dwarfs started making them, and at first, everything went fine. These Black Orcs could handle far more complex orders. They were able to handle jobs that regular greenskins would expire trying to do, and everything was going great. And other greenskins automatically respected them because they were bigger. Which yep. meant that they didn't do what greenskins tend to do, where they're constantly looking for a leader. They're constantly bashing each other, swearing at each other, arguing with each other, attempting to establish that hierarchy of one-upmanship until one rises above the rest and starts to lead them. That didn't happen because there was already a bigger one there saying, Oi, lads, down! And they were like, oh, oh sorry, boss. And immediately <laughs> they went back down again, meaning that they... The classic cycle of greenskin uh, warlord creation was cut off at the head. And it was, all things said and done, a stroke of genius. Because the Chaos Dwarves had managed to control all of the greenskins in their empire, which was huge. It's all of the area around their city and the mine here and the mine there and the mine there. And suddenly, it's all beginning to tick along like clockwork. Yep. But... Like Andy said, and like I've said, <laughs> the bit that I said earlier, oops, <laughs> oops, uh, because the black arts were so smart that they started to kind of look around and do some math and say, There's a lot more of us lads than there are them lads. And they started bull they started telling the greenskins to rebel because they, the only thing black orcs do enjoy in a fashion is fighting mm -hmm. because the, the chaos dwarfs got rid of all the extra stuff, which was the thing that kind of led to greenskins making accidents or getting distracted. Black orcs didn't get distracted. So they started turning their attention to the chaos dwarfs and say, Oi, stick them. And they all, all of a sudden the chaos dwarfs started dealing with rebellions that were happening faster and faster and faster. And they started to link up with each other where black orcs would get together. And instead of just fighting each other would just nod and then start fighting the chaos dwarfs. And they surrounded the city and then the orcs inside of the city started rebelling. So the gates got thrown open and the chaos dwarfs go, oh shit. Because then the black orcs did something really genius, which is they started taking the chaos dwarfs own weapons and turning them around against the city itself, mm -hmm. which the yeah, chaos think, dwarfs did not think was possible. The thing with the black orc rebellion, the one that I accidentally started earlier in the conversation, the thing with the black orc rebellion um, is that it was almost wholly successful. Um, the problem with the Black Orc Rebellion is that there was Black Orcs on the other side. 
um, it wasn't a universal rebellion. The Chaos Dwarves, for all they were fighting a retreating battle all the way up, they were willowing, winnowing out absolutely any who were potential traitors until they were left with a hardcore set of extremely powerful Chaos Dwarves at the top with the most powerful weapons and supported by elite cadres of Black Orcs and other slaves. Um, and it's a war they will eventually win, but it's enormously damaging. Enormously yeah. damaging. Yngolzar Nagrand is kind of almost sacked in a sense. Like the entire yeah. city didn't fall, but the vast majority of it does. Yeah. And like Andy said, the two major players are that not all the Greenskins rebelled, and there was one particular faction that really fucked everything up, which was the Hobgoblins. The Hobgoblins, here we and go. They, this is the moment where they get their role in that mm -hmm. the Hobgoblins did a very interesting thing, which is that they are such backstabbing, cowardly little shits that when the Greenskins were, for all intents and purposes, potentially going to win, the Hobgoblins kind of looked around and said, what if we backstabbed everybody? Wouldn't then, like, yeah, sure, we'd still be slaves, but we'd be the top slaves. And that's exactly what they fucking did, is yep. that they started attacking the, their fellow Greenskins. They started silencing the groups on the war machines, turning the war machines against the regular Greenskins. Yeah, stabbing a lot of people <laughs> in the back. And the Chaos Wars were able to take advantage of the confusion, surge out, and push the Greenskins out. And this gives the Hobgoblins a position within Chaos Dwarf society that to this day is largely still the case. Um, they are now largely the Slave Masters. Um, they are the ones who uh, control the orcs, that control the goblins, that control the humans. And whilst, of course, there are many hobgoblin slaves as well, they're constantly doing slave raids out and towards the northern steppe, for example, to take more hobgoblins in. Uh, the hobgoblins in Chaos Dwarf society are higher stationed, higher status than anything other than the black orcs. Um, the Black Orcs are obviously now very carefully watched for, I think, fairly obvious reasons. Um, yeah, so, so that's one of the interesting things is that the lore disagrees with itself about Black Orcs now. And Well, it, it depends on the edition. In the older lore, they kept them around, but they very yep. carefully watched them. In the newer lore, it says they just got rid of them. Out. They were like, yeah. you know what? Too big of a risk. Just get rid of them. Now, what's interesting, we're not going to focus on this, but what's very interesting is that the Chaos Dwarfs or the Black Orcs get flushed out of the city, and this is the origin of black orcs and this is also mm -hmm. the origin of greenskin smiths that come to the old world and wouldn't you happen to know that only 300 years later the biggest and scariest orc wah that will ever be came rumbling up into blackfire pass led by a black orc mm -hmm. <laughs> and almost wiped out the entire dwarf empire <laughs> yep. which is like oh my god that's how effective these things were yep yeah, the Chaos Wars nearly caused the apocalypse. Good job, morons. Um, and are, because of their sorcery science, uh, responsible for what ultimately becomes one of the most powerful orcs in the world ever. Um, and indeed, it's fair to say that if we were again to look into our 40k side, um, all of the most powerful 40k orcs we know would be children in comparison to what the black orcs could be in the same realm. Um, the black orcs are just that much bigger and that much better than the orcs. Now, other orcs can rise up to and almost become the same as a black orc. Um, but in the end, the black orc starts at a, a higher base. They're just better. They're sharper. They're bigger. They're more intelligent. 
And whilst they always have those orky traits, and some writers forget that they're clever, um, some writers seem to think that black orcs are just normal orcs, but black or bigger or something, um, meaning that some of their descriptions are not necessarily as black orky as they could be. Uh, it's fair to say that they are pretty much the uber orc. Uh, they are the big orc, and they are potentially the only thing that could stand against the never chosen come the end times yeah good old headline. as we will find out yeah pop yeah so yeah the chaos horse play if you look at it from that angle the chaos horse actually play a very hilarious role in the end times without yes, meaning they to. do um so back to the city itself it does recover from this though it takes it like a lot of the reason that the chaos horse probably are not as much of an active force as you might expect Considering the thousands of years they had a buildup, is that they kind of had to do a reset button. Yep. Uh, and take another two, uh, almost 3,000 years to build themselves back up in preparation for something. Um, it's never really explicitly clear what exactly they're up to. It's so sad, isn't it? Because um, there is such a story sitting there waiting to be told because it's pregnant. It's clear that the Chaos Dwarves are building. And they are building carefully. They fucked up in the past. So they covered up their fuck up. And they sorted that out. And they're now building again. They've replaced their black orcs with other things. Or if you go with the older lore, the black orcs are very much brought under heel. Many of them are kicked out. And a few of them stay behind. The ones who were loyal stay behind. They've still got the tech after all. And some of them, I imagine, have been controlled using a mixture of high collars and other horrendous magical artifacts. So there's almost certainly black orcs and similar still there, even if they don't necessarily hit some army lists. Um, because they made the tech after all. But cutting it all down they're doing something and it's clearly something that has shut once and we're moving directly towards the end times throughout the course of this period as two thousand years leaves this city one of the largest i don't want to say that like the old lore said that it is the largest it's one of the largest in the entirety of the warhammer world hmm. there are very few cities that are as huge as Tsar nagarund they're just not there are a lot of chaos dwarves that are preparing for something there are an enormous amount of weapons that make the rest of the weapons across the old world into Cathay and elsewhere look somewhat childish they are a mixture of high technology and high sorcery and unlike the skaven they're pretty reliable these their biggest issues is that they're often demon engines and it's the demons that are unreliable. But if anything, they make them all the more powerful because they can take all of the science that works behind the core explosives that they're using and then add the horror of magic on top of that. They are a species that is just waiting to have something to do. But of course, as we all know, come the end times, well... You know, I imagine Grimm's we're, we're not going to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets a sad little footnote. Thank you, to Total War, for actually giving them stuff to do. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, looking back at the city, kind of some interesting things that I'd like to kind of pick Andy's brain about. Uh, yes. that I, I've always, <laughs> although I couldn't even remember the Black Orcs led that rebellion. So, ah, you're all good. You're all good. <laughs> my, uh, my brain's well picked out already. So, um. <laughs> So we, we've, we've discussed that you have these terraces, these different steps. And like Andy uh, said earlier, the higher up you are, 
the more important you are. There is a very strong note in the Chaos Dwarf lore that the the, the closer you are to the Temple of Hashit, the nicer it is, and mm-hmm. also the more importance you have, to the point that if you're a Chaos Dwarf and something bad happens, like you screw up, or you make a demon engine that misfires, or you run from battle, something happens, you will literally lose your position and be sent to a lower tier. Um, it's not a good time. But what's interesting is that each of these tiers uh, have various roles they perform and that there are things going on that when you look at the Chaos Wars, you don't think about. Uh, Doomrider, could the Obsidian Tower be used to create a, to sacrifice a god to Hashit? I would suggest that of any place in the world, it's one of the better options because uh, gods rely upon magic. They are creatures of the realm of chaos. They are creatures of the realm of the divine, the divine realms, the realms of the gods, whatever you want to call it. And that means that the obsidian that is at, well, at play, the enormous pyramid of the stuff, doing whatever it is that obsidian does to disrupt magic, causing the magic to stay away from it, it is the perfect place to trap a god. It's very possible that um, the reason that this exists is not because Hashat's under it, because Hashat doesn't like what is under it. Perhaps Hashat isn't the great fiery demon. Perhaps the fiery demon is what they're controlling with their pyramid, and Hashat is something that's very much happy to abuse it. Um, a bullheaded god of a different type, perhaps. There's all manner of different stories you could tell. In fact, I could probably, between the pair of us, I reckon we could probably tell 10 really good stories, all of which contradict. Um, all of which would be really good answers for how this could be represented in the end times or in a head up to an end times or something similar, um, which is ultimately my biggest issue with it. Could it? Yes. Was it? No. Yeah, I agree. Um, Kabanda, uh, well, they're building all those demonic siege engines when that's a little overkill for orc forts. Feel like they want to crack some Dawi hold open. Well, so it's implied they want to dominate the planet. Um, mm-hmm. is kind of like the end goal is to march out one time and win not to march out multiple times but once um, but the thing the chaos wars do that's very very clever is the reason you don't see a lot of chaos Wars armies is that they essentially sell or even sometimes lend out their war machines to other factions so the hell cannon is a great example the hell cannon is a relatively recent invention uh, by the Chaos Dwarves, and instead of, you'll notice that it's crewed by Chaos Dwarves. Arguable. I, you, you know, you always <laughs> argue that Black Orcs are kind of just crooks. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you have this under, Arguable. Uh, yeah, you have this idea that uh, the Chaos Dwarves, they crew the Hell Cannons. It's not like Warriors of Chaos crew the Hell Cannons, yep. and it's because the Chaos Dwarves are literally using those battles as testing fields. They're exhibit yeah. performances. They're taking the Hell Cannons out, lending them to the Warriors of Chaos, and allowing them to go to these battles to see how they perform, see how reliable are, how they can be fine-tuned, how they can be built to be better. That's why they're there. That's the big thing that's kind of examined with uh, Archeon's invasion is the Chaos Dwarves kind of forge a contract with them saying, oh yeah, we'll send you experimental weapons, but we're going to return. Not I, we require souls, we require warp stone, we require minerals, we require all manner. They're traders. They're oh, yeah. definitely traders because there's multiple examples of the northern uh, tribes of Chaos, for want of a better word to describe them. But the northern tribes doing clean trades, um, we get so much chaos armor, we get so much support in return for a whole host of slaves, a whole host of minerals, or indeed the big one, warp stone. Yeah, a lot of the Warriors of Chaos stuff that you see, like a lot of their fancy swords and shields and armor and stuff that, mm-hmm. it, the vast majority of it is made by chaos dwarves. 
um, the shitty ones, the ones that look like they're just big cleavers and have been very poorly put together, just hammered bits of metal or whatever, they're the ones that are coming from the northern tribes. Many of their basic weapons are coming from the northern tribes, but the big demonic weapons, um, the stuff that's not just been gifted to them by the gods, um, may have come from the Chaos Dwarves a couple of thousand years ago and done a big long tour, or may have just been bought from the Chaos Dwarves somewhat more recently. Yeah, because the Chaos Dwarves, they're known for making like, I mean, they're an industry. They're constantly making yeah. stuff and they'll take a lot of their, they keep the best tools for themselves. But if they make something in like there are, any batch is going to have some stuff that's better than others. That's just the nature of the universe. They'll take the lower quality stuff and say, all right, we'll ship this off to whatever tribe or we'll trade it to somebody in exchange for other things. That's why there's like entire ogre tribes that are allies with them, most notably the Iron Skin tribe. The Iron Skin tribe, they are all about that life of they go out, capture large groups of people, slaves from Cathay or wherever, greenskins, and they all go over to Zarnagrin and trade them stuff to the point that Gark Ironskin, their big bad uh, tyrant, rides a demonically empowered Mecha Rhinox, which is really oh, mental. fucking scary <laughs> because Rhinoxen are huge. And the fact that his is basically a juggernaut is crazy. And that, I think, ultimately is where we have to again say, look, they're clearly doing something. They can make some extraordinary shit. If they wanted to rule the world and push out, they would push out much further than they have. But they are expressly described as moving out very slowly, only going to concentrations of minerals that they require for whatever it is they're building, consolidating that, and then attaching it by rail or caravan, depending exactly on how it's uh, linked up to the capital. And it comes out in small spines, and they don't care about the territory that lies in between. They only care about the holes that they then sink down into the earth and the mines that are down there. But why? The big why of it all. What is their point? What is their motivation? What does Hashut want? Because they are all working towards Hashut's goal. And that, I think, is the, the fascinating unanswered question about the Chaos Dwarves as a whole. Yeah, I think the idea that I would... Uh... <laughs> yeah, okay, too. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm we're still right uh, uh, Speaking of demons slash warp engines, what is the benefit of binding demons to weapons, and really, how does that make the weapon stronger? Okay, so just to cut this down into its very simplistic basics, you put a demon into a weapon, and it almost always gives that, imbues that weapon with a particular power. There's various different ways you can make that happen as the person binding it in. There's packs that can be made. There's various magical spells that you can use to help channel it. But it can do everything from giving the beta biting set of teeth that literally starts consuming as it works its way through, or it can suck souls, or it can give you extra strength that some of the demon strength leeches into you. There's all manner of different ways it does it, but loosely, you have a demon weapon, it's fucking nasty, and it's going to do a lot of nasty things to whomever you're fighting. Demons make an enormous difference to material weapons, and that's not just for swords, that's for ranged weapons, that's for cannons, that's for pretty much anything. Demons enormously empower weapons. Yeah, like you're, you're putting a sentient magical entity behind whatever it is you've bound it to to make it more lethal and efficient might not be happy about it though (laughs) often won't be they are after all tyrants remember these chaos dwarves are not dealing in uh demons in the way that they 
you know, hey, demon, do you want to come in? It's much more, you're coming in. Let's yeah, uh, mess about with you now. I would say there's an extreme argument that Zarnagra building made out of obsidian is a defense against demons and the retribution of the dark gods. I agree. Uh, for doing a lot of the shit that they do. Um, like, because I would actually posit the idea that if Zarnagrin is building up like it is on pure defense, there's almost an argument to be made that they know the end times is coming, and what better defense to have against an apocalypse of magic than an entire city of anti-magic? What if, I mean, there's a really good story, one of the many potential what-ifs, and what if all they're doing is basically building a spaceship to move into Age of Sigmar? Um, in that when the world blows up and magic goes wild, they are safe inside their anti-magical bubble. And off they go, chaos dwarfing away. <laughs> beep, beep. But with a big, huge yeah. exhaust coming to out the fair, back of them. We know they've survived into AOS. They don't have an army book yet. There's a lot of there's a lot of buildup to them getting an army book, but it's not here yet. Well, but, there we uh, go. Anyway. So uh, that, that the, does that. Uh, it, no, it wouldn't be a parental argument. It would be a murder scene of yeah. the most brutal. Like, you cannot put a dwarf and a chaos dwarf within line of sight of each other without them doing everything in their physical power to kill one another. Because mm. it's, uh, I don't even know how to describe it appropriately of what they represent to one another is like the ultimate insult to what they are. Massively antithetical to each other. One is everything that dwarves absolutely fear inside their hearts is a possibility because made manifest. It's everything that they say is right suddenly in front of them apparently being wrong. It just doesn't work. And on the other side, it's a manifestation of weakness. They're just weak. They're nothing more than um, sad reflections of their ancestors before and weak examples of that, if anything. Where is their innovation? Where is their next step? Why are they so pathetic? Yeah, they, it just, they do not get on. Um, I'll bring up this one very quickly. Uh, I haven't done it yet, so I don't know. Um, I'm currently, my ceiling, you may know, I don't know if you can see it here. My ceiling is a complete state. We had a flood um, and I'm about to get this entire room uh, kitted out. It's costing us an arm and a bloody leg. Um, but yeah, <laughs> as is often the case. Um, yeah. But that's why I haven't started up playing on anything yet because we're gutting everything out of this room to go into another room so we can get this room redone. I, I think you'll and then like move it. everything back in. I think you'll like it. We'll have to see one day. It's it's very sci-fi from a I'm, fantasy I'm perspective. Super looking forward to playing it. Hey Matthew, building a demon construct that's powerful enough for Hashat to inhabit is something I would think. Uh, so that that works quite well. True. So yeah. They can just go on their one invasion tour. I think that could be true, although it feels almost small-minded given their tyrannical ambitions um, because uh, ultimately they're intelligent folk. Um, there's a deal that has been struck. What is the deal? And if the deal is just conquer the world, they'd be doing it now. Yeah, they, there is nothing could. to hold them back from pushing it outwards. It's clearly conquering the world it would only be a step. There's clearly something else there. Manifesting Hashat, I think Hashat could possibly manifest itself if it wished to do so during any one of the various incursions of chaos. So again, yeah, I actually personally love what they go with in the Total War storyline, which uh, to I guess super summarize it for Andy is the Total War storyline they end up running with is that the Chaos Force are trying to create a drill that can pierce the... It, it pierces the um, the the fabric between realities because they're trying to drill into the realm of Hashit itself. Like, create a permanent gateway between them and one of the realms of Chaos, which, like, I think is great! That's awesome! <laughs> That's a good story, and it certainly gives you a reason for them to be doing all the things they're doing. 
Um, and you'd probably do that beneath the pyramid, I imagine. Right down, down, and then into Shots Rail. Yay! Mohammed, for Song of Power, think of Ebony Sword of Skyrim. I don't know the Ebony Sword of Skyrim, should I? Have I missed something? I, I don't know what he's referring to by that. The, like, no, neither do I. I'm quite happy. To, I, I've completed Skyrim like three times, and I can't. No, I know. It's like I, I remember <laughs> Ebony weapons, and I remember that super annoying Ebony knight you fight at the end. Mandatus, uh, 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 uh. um, the fact that Hell Cannons use souls harvested from the slave pens in the battlefield is wonderfully horrific. I completely agree. Um, yeah. And their contempt for the four, and I think that's an important thing to always remember. Contempt. They okay, are so better. There's a there's a some things I wanted to ask Annie about, and I kept getting distracted. So, looking at Mingles Arnagro, one of the really th interesting things to consider that we kind of touched on a little bit is that this has to be an entire city, meaning it needs everything a city mm -hmm. needs to survive. So, one of the things that's super interesting about the Chaos Dwarfs is the concept that this means they need to have farms. They need to have something that can sustain their people and feed them and keep them alive. And it's interesting to consider what it could be because we know that Mingles Zarnagrand, for all that the upper levels may be nice, there is no sunlight. There's no sunlight in Zarnagrand. Yep. Like the sun is completely. Well, they're dwarves. They're dwarves. Um, and you could argue that we're going to go down either one of two obvious routes and then a whole bunch of. Ah, shit. Yeah, this one, I want to hear Andy's opinion on how the dwarves of Zarnagrand survive. Yeah. Um, so we've got two obvious routes to answer on here, and then we have the extra, uh, no one's really thought about it, we should write more about this and make sure that the details make sense. The two obvious ones is one, meat. They are constantly working on a cycle of meat that they're pulling in from elsewhere. That's not going to last long enough, not unless they've got proper breeding pens, but it does suggest that that may be the case, suggests that their entire economy and their internal eating structures are based on eating their slaves, um, eating uh, their opponents, eating other chaos dwarves who are weak. Um, uh, meat is on the menu, boys, on an almost permanent basis. Um, and uh, that I can certainly see. Uh, it's an exhaustible supply, but given the size of the city and the number of slaves they have and the fact that they can be bred um, is at least something you can go, I can see how it might work. Do we then move into orcs? and greenskins in general that are bred in a different way they can be grown like fungus mm. um and we know that dwarves down in their holes use a variety of different funguses fungi um that uh, they eat as well uh they don't just have crops sitting at the top of their holes down beneath them they use often different types of fungus and that would work very well here both breeding the orcs for slave stock uh consumption and also for the funguses and the other funguses that they would have already been aware of as dwarves coming out from the mountains anyway. So we've got the second obvious route, which is fungus in all of its various kinds. The ones that the dwarves are very used to harvesting and the ones that they're perhaps normal dwarves would not be harvesting. The green skin kind. That also makes sense. And they kind of intermix there. The whole meat is on the menu, boys, mixed with fungus. And then the third one, which is... Clearly, they have to eat, and they're not using farms as we traditionally understand them. The surrounding lands around Zarnagarund are an enormous plain of wasteland and lava and old abandoned mines, huge piles of slag and detritus, old alchemical slag piles that, from past experiments, sitting there, probably irradiated and horrible. There's 
a really bad surrounding about the place, but it's still mineral rich. The slag of yesteryear suddenly becoming useful as they make further technological advantages, advances, pardon me, and realize that they can use these. So the entire place is filled um, with not farms, but people and waste and horror. So we are either farming on the inside or we're not farming at all. Cut a long story short, you would have to either rewrite Chaos Dwarves as they currently are and add some form of food, or alternatively, just accept that there is enough uh, raiding description, I suppose, in their background to justify them constantly going out, taking in new meat, taking in um, uh, resources from other people, and that would loosely do. Now, would that do for a city with a population of anything from a million up to several million? I think that the answer to that is doubtful. Yeah, what I do it would require a lot of fungus. Yeah, what I do find interesting, the idea of them like using green skins, which can propagate very fucking fast. Yeah. Um, as a as a food source, and even even like if they can create black orcs, even creating like horrific forms of green skins that are literally just used for food. Quakes of all types. Yeah, is that the mm. the chaos orbs, The only thing we do know about them culinary wise is they do have something along the lines of like a blood beer, which is like the beer they brew literally is made of blood or has blood as a major component of it, which is fucking disgusting. And I don't understand how that would work, but I guess blood confirmant uh, if you put the right things in it, blood with hops. But it's the world of magic, you can do whatever yeah. you want. So, <laughs> and considering all the notes about how like the bull centaurs are cannibalistic and the chaos dwarves yeah. are not that different, um, yeah. I do think there could be a very strong suggestion of the idea that they have a, a horrific, horrific meat-based culture. Yeah, uh, I, I would tap into the worst aspects of capitalism. <laughs> I could see, yeah, totally. I could see long tables in their halls um, where the chaos dwarves are all sitting down. They're being served by greenskins and humans and whatever other slaves that they've got. And it's just piles and piles of meats of different kinds, which they're carving off and eating, necking it down with blood beer and similar. That makes sense. It suits their character to a T and possibly uh, all sauteed up with various fungal stuff. That all works as well. So, yeah, they could do it. Um, it would be, it would require a lot of orc farming, though. But we get the opinion. It seems that they do that. So, yeah. Though I yeah. do, I do like the idea of like if you entered Mingalzar Nagra and if someone ever drew a map of it, like the lower levels are all the horrible industry you would expect. But then as you get up to the upper tiers, there's like unexpected greenery. Like there's somehow uh, beautiful gardens or oh yeah the ebony blade okay yeah yeah the nature garden yeah, yeah yeah thanks holy artist super appreciated there yeah but uh, I I do I do like the unexpectedness of that like oh clearly the cast horse couldn't be possibly capable of any form of beauty yeah but with their ability to manipulate heat and understanding how to use the minerals of the earth to its ultimate resource you know kind of having like the hanging hanging gardens, gardens of Babylon on, up at the top like that would be a very interesting visual unexpected thing for the chaos yeah. sorcerer prophets to have I, I don't think it would ever happen though in official lore i mean if i was uh tasked to write this i would probably go down a particularly long uh wikipedia uh dive looking for lots of different ways i could justify it and see if i could make the populations work and i think i probably could i mean the farming of green skins alone would allow it to work 
um, what the greenskins are eating, and then you just have to start working around until eventually you've got enough fuel in for everyone. Where's the grass equivalent that all the cows and the, the sheep are eating that we then eat in turn? You need to ensure that you've got everything in place there. And as it currently stands, there's no strong grass equivalent. What's the bottom of the food chain here? So I would go down a very long, long um, Wikipedia dive to try and get it to work. But I think meat-based culture makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, Hieronymus, uh, what, what kind, kind of, of horrific... Oh, what, go for it. What kind of horrifically good or bad demonic weapons slash machinery could the Chaos Horse make with Gelt's soul? Haha, uh, -ha, yes. Uh, you... they, just, they just devour him because yeah. that's all he deserves. I don't know. They might not go down in their under their gullet. Well, they might get upset. Tum tums. <laughs> I I I refuse to let him live under any circumstance. Yeah, let the man die. Yeah, the average <laughs> the average person like human souls are not worth much to the chaos wars other than being used as bait for demons. They use a lot of human souls as bait. Uh, and I think the answer to this is probably yes. I mean, humans humans can eat humans pork rooms. Yeah. Like you just have to be careful Although, about which ones. Yeah, but, loads of them are poisonous, uh, particularly yeah, like humans, owning a mad but, cap, suck, but you to orcs, uh, to orcs and greenskins in general, most of the mushrooms are not just edible; they're very edible. And they're also very fleshy. The um, the mushrooms that create greenskins tend to be the more fleshy kind, the ones that if you fried it in a pan, you might actually mistake for a good steak, um, because they're they're heavy. Proto orc. Yeah, two proto squig. Two random facts, one of which is hilarious, one of which kind of eh. like there are dwarfs that talk about in desperate situations you can eat green skin. It's not great eating, but it's you can eat them. It's not gonna kill you. Um, but there is a really hilarious quote from Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Second Edition, uh, the old world bestiary that I always love, where when it's talking about green skins and goblins in particular, there's a goblin that gets interviewed and he talks about how. He thinks the relate this goblin shaman is talking about how he thinks the relationship between humans and goblins is beautiful because they they fight each other and they both enjoy fighting and they even eat each other because they eat one another and then there's a there's an ellipsis at the bottom and he goes what do you mean you don't eat us like he gets insulted that the humans <laughs> don't eat the goblins <laughs> he's like how dare you <laughs> another Mac has shot with my stone fire blood brew less green this time or you're in for the next batch of burgers was it. Says Mandatus, and yes, that. Yeah, um, but, although yeah, I mean, for the Chaos Wars, <laughs> that's more Blood Bowl. <laughs> yeah, for for the Chaos Wars, I would honestly be pretty inspired by like how horrific, like you know, we don't like to think about it, but how horrific factory farming is in the real world, mm -hmm. and like if you dial that up to eleven for the Chaos Wars, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, totally. And instead of having yourself the battery of chickens or the battery of orcs or whatever it might be, they're actually doing jobs as well. So they're not yeah. just sitting in their cages. They're actually doing stuff because the Chaos Dwarves are the freaking worst. The only uh, issue you need to resolve to make it all work is what sits at the bottom of the food chain and how does it work up? We all know that greenskins are quite capable of creating their own food chain um, in that the squiggly things are squigs mm -hmm. um, that come out first. Then the goblins come out. The goblins eat the squiggly things and the mushrooms, which in turn create eventually orcs which eat all the way back down the chain again. So they can effectively create themselves enough to not only survive underground miles away from anything, they create an entire ecosystem that they work within. And that's, that's fun. It's a bit complicated because in the Warhammer world, it's never really properly figured out exactly how, say, night goblins only make night goblins or orcs or forest goblins or whatever and why it doesn't turn into 40k. But uh, the answer to that is almost certainly magic. 
Yeah. Um, so the other thing that's interesting, uh, as far as Mingles are Nagarin goes and talking about like what they're creating there and what they're building up towards, um, me and Andy, uh, we, we touched on this a little bit ago, but I think it's worth really talking about that. One of the things I find really fascinating about the chaos dwarfs in the modern time. So like what they're kind of up to nowadays is one of their biggest, baddest, most recent inventions that is horrific. Um, but also fascinating and demonstrates their level of science which is that the Chaos Dwarfs are the only race I know of who have managed to do something that the old ones themselves did not seem able to do, which is that the Chaos Dwarfs figured out how to create life, how to take something that is not alive in any way, doesn't have any form of sentience or sapience, and they made a living entity out of it, which are the Kadai, which are a very, very unique thing. Oh, the Kadai. So for those that don't know, uh, one of the most recent inventions of the Chaos Dwarfs and by far the scariest fucking thing they've ever invented, because it seems to have kind of almost take what they did to create the Black Orcs. But they said, okay, what if instead of using an orc as a base, we just made it ourselves? What if we took the very fundamental laws of the ether where supposedly consciousness kind of comes from? We took those basic building blocks and we made something from scratch which is insane. It's insane. And they did it. They successfully pulled it off. They even build the Kadai with self-destruct sequences functionally when a Kadai is activated. So a Kadai, if you look at it, when it's inert, it literally just looks like an empty suit of armor. Like mm -hmm. it's just, it's just a couple of pieces of armor with runic script. Then they, they strike. I think it's called like the rune of burning or the rune of hate or something, but they strike a certain rune on it that activates them and it brings them to life. And they are literally, creatures made out of pure fire they're not demons they're similar to demons but they're not they are genuinely created life forms that are magical in nature but they are designed with a nature where they burn themselves out um they burn so hot that they burn through the very wards that are the very runic script that brings them life and kill themselves like that way they can't turn against the chaos dwarfs because even if they do, they're going to die anyway, which is like a really fucked up form of life to create <laughs> where it's like built in with a, for lack of a better term, like a suicide timer um, that they can't help it. Like the Kadai, they only know anger, like, cause they're kind of just action spirits in a yeah. sense. I mean, I'd, I'd add a bit of um, metal to that as well, since they're made of yeah, material true. metal. They're, but they're, they're metal and fire. Creatures. They're terrifying creatures. Like, they're half demonic, but they're only half demonic because they're taking spiritual energy from the aether, which is where all demons come from. So it's arguably not demonic at all. Yeah. It's just empowered by the aether. Um, it's a terrifying creature of rage and hatred and fire. Um, yeah, very chaos dwarf and very hashat. And again, um, these sort of experiments that are coming from their sorcerer prophets or their sorcerer scientists or their sorcerer whatevers um, really do speak to what the good old father of darkness has shut us up to. What are they trying to make? What are they trying to do? And this one speaks quite well to perhaps they're trying to manifest a shut in some fashion, trying to manifest um, immaterial things into the material. Um, it's a it's a fun one. The good old Kadai. Um, uh, they're yeah, and, you know, you they're know, a I, thing. I didn't used to consider this as much, but now I'm kind of considering more if we, as we've had this conversation of the idea that Hasha really seems like 
more of a demon prince type entity because he has such a fundamental understanding of both the material plane and the etheric plane, which is very yeah. unusual. That's odd. Most creatures don't have a good understanding of both, but he seems to understand like generally the nittiest, grittiest little specifics of how to manipulate material stuff like the lava and the deep earth and how to mine and do all this other weird stuff, genealogy and like how to manipulate the very fundamental aspects of life. But he also understands how to manipulate the ether on such a fundamental yeah. way. I mean, they can make their own creatures. Yeah, I mean, like the Kadai themselves. I mean, much of what makes them what they are is all the sacrifice that's involved causing those spirits to burn into the aether. That immaterial stuff can then be pulled right back in again into the metallic bodies. There is an understanding of the fundamental nature of the aether in the material realm, which really is intrinsically understood by the Chaos Dwarves because that is the direction they've been pushed in by Hashat. Hashat wants them to be doing this and I agree, it does speak to Demon Princedom but I think I'll add one extra part to that because particularly for old school Warhammer fans, the ideal of a Demon Prince being in any way powerful beyond just being a handy little creature that you drop in your battlefield is it, it's a bit surprising sometimes but I think it's worth making this clear a Demon Prince is nothing more than a mortal that has ascended and become a god now, I know that that's relatively controversial in terms because it's a demon prince. I mean, that's not a god, is it? No, it is. It absolutely is. It's now gained immortality, often granted by one of the chaos gods, although there are other ways to become a chaos uh, demon prince. Um, you, you have ascended and you maintain the mind that you had before. So the heish that gathers around you stays there permanently. Indeed, arguably all the winds that are comprised of your material form are given extended life on the other side. And you can manifest in reality if you're summoned like any other demon, but they understand the material realm in a way that others don't. They make the perfect generals, for example, for the chaos hosts, because they understand the material realm in a way that others don't. We have ourselves our first demon prince, Belakor, that we're all aware of, who was um, uh, brought into godhood either by one or all of the chaos powers. There's different stories. Um, or by himself. And he effectively is a god who has been massively cursed and held in place by the other chaos gods so that he doesn't rise up and take control and overrule them in a variety of ways. Belakor is properly screwed by them and indeed cursed to crown their alternative to him. As in, they are the demon prince that should be ruling. No, no, you're going to have to do the ever chosen because we're going down that route now because our first attempts with the case, the demon prince is, whoa, bad. That turned out really bad. But we've got entities from the first cataclysm, great demons who were originally mortal, which again, perhaps gives you the idea that perhaps a shot is a dwarf. There's mm. nothing wrong with that any one of the mortal species um, would have been the source of this. Belakor almost certainly was an elf. Almost certainly. I mean, even his name, Belakor, Belkahadris the Seer, Bel this, Bel that, it's a classic piece of elven uh, wordage. Um, Belakor was probably an elf. And look at what he's become. Maybe a human, maybe something else. Doesn't really matter what he was. Mm. But Ashut is so intrinsically dwarfy in terms of everything that he's doing. If you're looking to make him a demon prince, and looking to make him effectively a god, he's an ancestor god who went, fuck this. I should be on the other side. 
and I'm going to be. And they're all building industrialized towards a particular end because of this ancestor. That'd be one way of looking at it. Yeah, I would, I would like if someone, which I know Cubicle 7 is working on it, um, of like an expanded dwarf thing, because the dwarves have not gotten like a really good RPG focus since first edition. Um, but like if they were going to reinterpret the epic of Skavor, leading, leaving some threads that Skavor might have become Hashit would be fucking that would be so much better than what the original story does with them i completely um, agree but and so, i would be sorely tempted thought. to do that i have a thought for you after Before this we do it let's bring up uh, uh, godzilla there you know this stream makes me wish cares towards got more attention and fleshed out or potentially <laughs> got a rope book one day you know what i agree completely i loved the cares towards when they very first came out um they were roundly hated though because they were seen to be very cartoony they were with their giant hats and, oh, here comes the missile launchers with a big missile on his hat. Um, and many thought that that looked a bit daft. And there was some people who really steered into Warhammer being serious stuff. So they didn't like them while simultaneously liking Greenskins. Um, they were never that popular. And because of that, they faded away after 5th edition and then just vanished. And everyone tried to pretend they didn't exist until they got their rewrite with Tamarkan. And I find it fascinating that when they got completely updated again for Total War, that they basically took everything that was originally there and mashed it into what came out from Forge World. They rather than classic. They literally yeah, turned totally. into the, like, it is the most classic version of what a cult classic is, is the Chaos Dwarfs. And I love them, and I'm really looking forward to playing about with them, because I just think as a faction that they're absolutely great, and it is a shame that they never got the same time, and I'll because I don't want to I mean I'm going to anyway I, I hate ranting about the same thing again and again <laughs> but whenever whoever was responsible for all of the end time stuff if they just sat down and looked at each faction all of them and said how can I make this end awesome how can I make the chaos dwarves end awesome rather than just chaos dwarves ah fuck we should do something with them let's footnote it and say they were headbutted job done yeah. someone wants to give us like hundred thousand dollars each. We'll we'll sit down and do our own fan version of the end times for you. Holy <laughs> shit! Yeah, hundred grand um, each. <laughs> yeah, that that'd pay for my time for a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, look what Bellacor forget heavy metal band. Yes, uh, I do love that Bellacor has gone on to inspire that. And that that amuses me no end. Uh, millions of people who only eat mushrooms, meat, and beer made out of blood. Imagine the flatulence the ass cannon. <laughs> you know, you, you, funny enough, the hell cannon that a lot of people know and love, the hell cannon is literally just the uh, ass cannon updated to make it more serious. Yeah, it pretty much is. But I do love those updates. Hey, Laughing God, to add to that comment, this stream makes me want so many things to be expanded on in the roleplay. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. that Drum was my plan back in the day, but, you know, I mean, that's why I watch Lawhammer. <laughs> so well done, reigniting my love of the Lord time and time again. Delighted to help you with that because I also adore the lore. I particularly love the weird cul de sacs that we get into as we discuss it out and we suddenly realize, wait a minute, a shot. He should be a dwarf. I, I just I have a brain thing for you here in a second. Uh, Song oh. of Power. Uh, Hashtag is just Vashtor. I think you mean Vashtor is just Hashut, but yes. Um, that the I actually think there's a lot of fun behind the idea that Hashit might have an interesting relationship with the Forge of Souls, uh, and that Hashit has stolen things from it that are not supposed to be known to mortals, but he mm. figured them out. Um, because mm. do you ever think about where Demon Prince has to be made? Mm. Um, but uh, so Andy, I just had a thought uh, as far yes. as Mingles are Nagrund. 
uh, based on something you said earlier and other people said earlier, where we've kind of talked about like it being a prison and like Hashit trying to manifest. Mm -hmm. What I'm kind of thinking is if Hashit is a demon prince who was a dwarf. Yes. And Hashit, we know, is very materialist. He is obsessed with the material plane. He's not yes. trying to destroy it. He's a god mm -hmm. of tyranny. He wants to control it. Yep, that, that means, seems fair. That means he is objectively not on the same page as the four greater powers. Right. Break it. Um, he, he would see the four chaos powers with nothing more than contempt. So what if the idea for why it's so ridiculous, why it's so over the top, and he's doing nonstop prep for thousands of years is because he wants to trap the four dark brothers and mingles our Nagrand. Now that seems entirely likely. Um, the ridiculous nature of that, although I take uh, exception of calling them all brothers. Um, well, it's just one of their classic names. I just refuse to use that name. I know, but it's, it's there. It, like, it's, it's an old term. Um, yeah, but beyond me being picky as all hells. Um, I, uh, I think that would answer to the sort of overarching, tyrannical controlling nature of slavery looking at say for example um enslaving the four chaos powers to his yoke absolutely that seems completely in character and would also speak to why hashat could potentially win the dwarves over look at what they're doing to us this is how we can um, take our own back but it's going to cost you but we will bring them under our yoke those who are about to destroy you we will bring them under our yoke I could see some of them eventually maybe even going, you know what? You're my ancestor. Yeah. Okay. But we're going to have to take on magic. We're going to have to effectively change. They might even see themselves as the heroes of the piece. I, I, always well, like. I, I, I mean, they, they're enslaving greenskins mostly. I mean, that's a good thing to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually really fucking love the idea, though, of like, Hashit, like, you know, everyone loves fucking, uh, what's his face? Uh, the god that doesn't get to show up anymore because of copyright. Stuff. Wow. Bilal, of like of Hashit kind of having that thing of the anti-chaos chaos force, not because he's anti-chaos, but because he's just so dominant. Yeah, and quite willing to trade with them and take all their stuff because what he's doing is testing their weapons out in their battlefields um, to effectively later bring them down completely. I love that. Um, yeah, using always, them against themselves. Yeah, that's that's a always, lovely character. I've always detail. loved the the thread of like Slanesh is not as on the same page as the other three are when it comes to destroying the world. Because Slanesh is like, but I I like all the sensations and excess. Like I like this stuff. I want yeah. this to continue. But for Hatch, like for Hatchet, he would be completely against the end times. There's yep. no way he would be on the same team, given the character of the god as it's been presented. Um, the end times do not look like an an intelligent outcome for that god. You can see why you'd sideline it, sideline it if you were trying to say that all chaos was on the same side. Um, got a nice comment there from um, Avinius. Just an idea. Oh, I do love an idea. What if a shut is a dwarf ancestor who tried to challenge the old ones and was imprisoned below Earth as a punishment? Would explain his obsession with technology and sci-fi aspect. Uh, I would only argue against that with one thing, which is if the old ones wanted to stop you, they wouldn't bother imprisoning you. Squish. Yeah, squish. Um, squish. That they, They've got no reason to keep you alive. And one of the biggest storytelling problems I have with many of these plots, as they're often used by writers, is that the second you look at the motivations of the people involved, you go, wait a minute, that makes no sense. It's a cool story, and this would be a cool story. A dwarf ancestor that was imprisoned underneath and was whispering up or whatever. Cool story in there, but I would really look to try and tweak those motivations as to how it came about 
a little bit because that's not. Yeah. And I, I would also recommend movie. because the old ones are such an ancient, a noble alien force. I'm always really strongly trying to advise people to try and use them as little as possible because they kind of, they can steal a lot of the really interesting narrative and yeah. like personal motivations away from someone. Cause when you introduce the old ones, you're, you're introducing a by definition, unknowable force into the equation, which is can be fun, but generally speaking, I think it's far more interesting to have a hashtag as an entity who fell on his own um, for reasons that we've kind of postulated about and exploring those as opposed to it being another old ones MacGuffin, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because in the end, you're wanting to tell interesting, unique stories. And the old ones already have a massively awesome, unique story. And their story is that they're unknown. So the more that they do, the less that their motivations become clear. So you really want them to do as little as possible. You want them to be that mysterious force that sits in the background attempting to bioengineer the world with a tide of lizardmen for whatever reason they were doing it for. And you don't want anything more than that. We've got enough. Where the Chaos Dwarves don't have enough. Um, uh, I like this one here. Yeah, also, uh, it, oh. yeah, yeah. Godzilla asks, so the fact that Chaos Dwarves have giant train mortars from World War II, and they specifically use pressurized boilers to fire its very specifically made ammunition made by the Sorcerer Prophets, and don't let the details leak of how it's made. Which, for anyone curious, he's talking about the... Um, the do uh, 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 Oh, God, not the Doomstreaker rocket. The um, the other one. That's right. No. Um, uh, Dreadquake. The Dreadquake mortars. That's it. Thank uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the Dreadquake mortar shells are one of the most tightly kept secrets for the Chaos Dwarfs because they literally cause earthquakes when they hit the ground, which is like, think of the munitions that we have. We don't have munitions that we fire that cause fucking earthquakes and the Chaos yeah. Dwarfs do. Yeah, the Chaos Dwarfs are proper sci-fi. Hey, Mandatis, Mandatis. I'm still unsure how I want to pronounce that. All right, can't restrain myself anymore. Andy, will well, a I'm chaos dwarf appear in Lawhammer? Oh, do you want to say the next part? I, I, I want to ask it because it's a good 2GM right, go. question of uh, will a chaos dwarf appear in Lawhammer? Because I have a bit I want to add at the end. I want to watch Elemental with Leupold and Elric freak out. Just saying, if you support Lawhammer on Patreon on the highest tier, you can force try and force andy to put certain <laughs> concepts or characters into the campaign so if you really want a chaos dwarf to show up yeah that that's not untrue and indeed we um have a couple of interesting characters coming up in middenheim actually which i'm really looking forward to bringing in um the answer to that is as it currently stands and in this campaign no but that doesn't mean it won't happen i mean the empire is very far away from what is the Chaos Dwarf Heartlands, and it would require a good story reason for that to cross over. But it would be super awesome. Now, that doesn't mean it won't pop up in a flashback or an alternative um, sighting. For example, uh, one of the things... Comic-Con invasion? Exactly. Um, one of the things that I am doing is I'm flashbacking to parts of White's life, for example, both before and after she had her mind wipe, um, which means that we can go thousands of years back at various points and see Root Weaver doing her thing rather than what she is at the moment. So I, I imagine that one of the or more may pop up at some point. Um, and if you're not watching my show, you should do because it's a laugh. God, please. It's, it's so good. It's so um, good. 
Maybe the old ones did bury an ancestor god, says uh, G. Binks. G. J. Binks, pardon me. But for a purpose, when the world blew up and he was forgotten with bitter because of it, you know, again, the purpose. Uh, burying an old one seems weird. Having one collapsed down, burying an ancient, an ancestor god, having one collapsed and stuck down there um, is at least a potential thing. Having it be corrupted is also a potential thing. But I like the idea that it's not so much corrupted as it takes advantage of the world as it currently is and sees a way to bring chaos to its heel. Yeah, what I, what I will say in regards to that is you could do some interesting things with the idea that there is supposedly a alternate realm called the Glittering Realm where the Ancestor Gods learned a lot of their secrets uh, from the Old Ones that exists somewhere deep beneath Karak Zorn. You could say, what if there was an alternate entrance somewhere else that did collapse? Or what if, if you want to get really spicy... What if Grimnir didn't actually go north by himself? What if someone yeah. was with him, but that person fell behind or fell and Grimnir didn't help him? And Grimnir went, well, we, sorry, I have to keep going. We know that Grimnir went with his son, at least, because um, there's a, a lovely description of Grimnir's first trek up there and him sending people back. So we could have ourselves a whole manner of fun things happen along that. There's a lot yeah, there. You could, um, the idea that the... Ooh, actually, the idea that Hatchet has forced his way or has a way to the glittering realm, which is how he knows so much that could work really well. That could work really well. We'd also explain the odd technological advances that the Chaos Dwarves have made, particularly with sorcery science, because the old ones God, were yeah, sorcery dude, scientists. The amount of stuff that's kind of lining up that he is an ancestor yeah. god demon prince is like fucking blowing my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am 100% behind this idea. So does Hashat have a sacred number like the Dark Four? Not that we have publicly had marked down in any book. The, the problem with the sacred numbers is that they don't uh, make it's a great deal of sense. It's super inconsistent. Nurgle, for example, you almost feel like it should be three. Yeah. Um, th th there's not, there's no, how do I say this? There is no explanation ever given why some gods have sacred numbers when the vast yeah. majority don't. Um, yeah. And it, it was a part of you have them. There's no reason why they have them. They're just like, here's a number. Yeah, totally. But they are super fun to mess around with if you're uh, rolling dice or whatever, because if they pop up, you can use them to persecute your players. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah. I, it's just... <laughs> I would like to take a brief pause, given where we are at the hour, to say you're currently watching this on one of my channels right now. And that being the case, have you pressed subscribe? If you haven't, would you like Hashat to come along and burn your ass? Because he will if you don't <laughs> click subscribe. Also, given that you are the most awesome of awesome people, do please press like wherever you may be. And please. if you are watching us later, then do please click like, click subscribe. And then immediately when you're done, go and find Lore Masters of Sotek channel. And also leave us a comment. You've... Algorithm gods, leave us a comment. <laughs> oh, comments. Oh, yeah. Do, do drop us a comment. Say something like, hey, love your beards. <laughs> okay that's a shit comment broke my um, ego uh... so yes um, <laughs> if, if all of you did it we would have a whole bunch more subscriptions yeah and then I, can, I could hurry up and release so, so um, if you didn't know already when we hit 5k subscribers over here on the Lawhammer channels on YouTube so if you're currently watching on Twitch do pop over to YouTube press subscribe and go back to Twitch again um, and once we get 5,000, the good old lore master of Sotek is going to be doing himself one hell of a video for good old Queek Headtaker. And that Queek Headtaker video will even include a little cameo by myself, squeaking like a mad skaven. Yes. Yeah! 
Yes. Yeah, they're they're yeah. yeah. Um, we're not going to reveal anything else. Uh, nope. We're almost there too. It's only like one point three k left. Uh, okay, morning. If Hassett was an ancestor god, who became a demon prince. Would that mean the chaos dwarfs are still following Dawi ancestor worship? Yes, technically yes. And that is something I think is an essential component of trying to make sense of why the dwarves would fall. You need to have a reason, and there never was one given. It was just, oh, they were surrounded by chaos. A god said, hey, I'll help. And they went, okay. And suddenly, we're bull people now. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's that, that, that sounds like bull to me. Uh, uh, really? Also, chaos or surviving 40k. Uh, so whenever you're trying to jump from 40k to fantasy, the general answer is yes. Uh, because yeah. a lot of the, actually, fun fact, most of the fantasy factions were in 40k originally, back in like the Rogue Trader days. Um, yeah. And then they got shuffled out as 40k stopped being fantasy 40,000 years in the future and started being our world 40,000 years in the future. Um, but like the Chaos Wars would do very, very, very well. Um, yeah. Very well for themselves. Because um, they're kind of like, they're they're just good at that kind of thing. Um, but most of the fantasy races would honestly adapt just fine because uh, you would just change their magic to psychic powers. I'm just bringing this one up from Rafael because it makes me laugh. I know Andy's <laughs> poor microphone is trying so hard. Uh, all right, uh, we gotta get into questions. Are yeah, we must have a bunch. Yes, I'm ready. Oh, we try and do these quickly given that we've uh, we've yes. already hit 20 past. Yes. Uh, okay, Sir Beardington, uh, Mordheim stream stated Bellicor was the fifth most powerful of the Chaos Divinities. In your opinion, where do you think Hashit ranks on that list? I think arguably about the same. Um, and I I think this is one of the great mistakes of Warhammer is to elevate the Chaos Gods to such an extent that they are effectively inevitable, that every god is effectively Chaos, which is one reading, that all the horned rats are, that's just Nurgle, isn't it? Or Hashat, that's just corn, but doing magic. No, that doesn't make sense. Let's not look at it too closely. It's bullshit. It makes the Warhammer world less interesting, less fascinating. All of these other gods, all of these other factions deserve to have their own unique expressions. Not to allow them to have so is an absolute waste of really cool lore. So, loosely speaking, I would say not only, yes, they're about the same, I would argue that in some circumstances they're much more powerful because it's not black and white. It's not. They've got a number from 1 to 100 to show how powerful they are. If you do that, then you just say, yeah, Korn's the most powerful. Is he? Well, yeah, he's got the bigger number. But bullshit. They all have different levels of power in different environments. And from as we've seen throughout the course of this stream, the Chaos Dwarves are much more material. They're much more in the real world, which would suggest that as a god... Hashat is much more powerful in the real world than the other gods are, meaning that the in the great beyond of the Aether, perhaps super powerful, but if they came through here, Hashat would hand them their ass. Perhaps that's Hashat's great plan. We've discussed many different great plans that could be here. Loosely speaking, I wouldn't like to say one is more or less powerful than any other. I would simply like to say it's a big fuck-off chaos god, and you should be scared. Yeah, the I think the uh, I agree wholeheartedly with Andy that power scaling is such a nebulous fucking mess because how you define power completely matters and it's a fucking mess until you do that because like Andy said if you, if you're having a punch out yeah no corn's gonna murder everybody if you're having who's the most clever and insidious well Zinch would probably take mm -hmm. over there who's the most resilient well it's gonna be Nurgle but like you know if you're going who has the most influence in the material realm. Well, it's Hashut by far. Like he he doesn't like he kind of breaks a lot of the rules that we yeah. understand. Um, so it it just depends. But yeah, he's up there. 
Uh, aside from the Kadai, what would the demons of Hashit look like? Uh, bulls. Um, it's a little boo, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The uh, so the um, it, it's actually very heavily believed by the Chaos Dwarfs that the uh, the Taurus um are are in fact the Bale Taurus and the um the Great Taurus are simply demons of Hashit. Uh, yeah. because they are they are magical entities, like they're physical, but they are wreathed in Akshi to kind of an alarming extent. And the Chaos Wars quite literally believe that they're just physical manifestations of Hashit's will. Yeah, I'd really like a new model for that. You know, something yeah, oh, that was man, just all fire and smoke. Wait oh, until you amazing. see the Total War versions. They're beautiful. Could, and the oh, Lamasu looks incredible. They actually made the Lamasu look good. Godzilla adds, since the roleplay books go much deeper than the army books, it makes me wonder... Of all the inventions we don't hear about the Chaos Dwarfs make, like a Chaos Dwarf made a Gatling gun that uses fire glaive ammunition, and yes to this. It's one of, I think, the great mistakes of people who look at Warhammer lore, and that's that looking at the army list tells you everything about the species or the faction at hand. It just doesn't. It's, it's basically the tip of the spear, but there's a whole load of shit sitting behind that. Um, so I think the answer to that is yes. Yeah. And good one, God's very much for absolutely that. yeah yeah uh let's see uh in the monster you said ogres make terrible slaves does this mean the ogre crews working on jobby star war machines are higher mercenaries no they are they are actual ogre slaves but they mm -hmm. ogres do not make good slaves the chaos horse are keenly aware of that but the chaos horse don't care <laughs> yeah um, um the i would argue actually the ogres don't necessarily make good slaves but they do make very good workers yeah. And it's just managing those that is hard. And the way that the Chaos Dwarf works, which is through tyranny and oppression, does not work very well with the ogres. Um, it's marked in a couple of places that there's only one species that the Chaos Dwarves definitely don't like to enslave and tend to kill or work to death immediately, and that's the Skaven, because they're even more treacherous than the sneaky gets that yeah, are the whole goblins. They're usually either an assassin in disguise or they're a clan pestilence plague bomb waiting to happen, yeah. <laughs> which has happened before, which is hilarious. That's why the Chaos Dwarves don't let that shit in. Um, yeah, yeah, quite. Yeah, you're right to do so. Yeah, the ogres, they use them where they can, but the thing about ogres is that you have to you have to be constantly watching them. You can't just have an ogre population of slaves. They're gonna rebel and it's gonna be bad because they're big mm -hmm. and strong and tough. Now, a yep. single ogre that's being watched over by a work crew who's just loading munitions, they can handle that. I mean, I'd, I would argue they could handle quite a few of them. I mean, uh, try not to. You gotta remember that they are like 12 foot tall living machines of death. Um, <laughs> but never the... But nevertheless, they are still quite biddable. If you keep on feeding them, they're quite happy. Um, they tend to mix in with every society they get into. And several of them have probably got themselves in as slave masters and all manner of different Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just, I, I think it's within. just they don't, they, they don't make good basic bitch slaves. Um, yeah, like, yeah. They're, they're too rebellious. And the, the other thing is they take a lot of food to keep going. Like, ogres are hungry. And if you don't feed them, they, they will starve to death. Like, that can happen. <laughs> Bang! 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 Ha! Ha! Shock! Yeah, that, that yeah, that, that that wraps it up. Yeah. Um, the, the, <laughs> Thanks, the, John. The, Appreciate if it. If you're playing Total War, the Tower of a Share was literally built just to deal with ogres and chaos dwarves. Mm. Chaos dwarves are a pain in the fucking ass. Uh, Fortunately, though, they're not really expanding. Do the Dawizar have beastmen slaves? Probably yes. some. Not uh, many. Yeah, um, uh, the Darklands are not, not that many for beastmen. 
got to remember that beastmen are largely the children of the forest, children of chaos that live in all the forests and hide there. They're not known for their plains-dwelling ways. It's not RuneQuest where you've got brew everywhere. Um, so, yeah, they, loosely speaking, will they enslave them? Yes, they don't yeah, there, care. They'll there's take a really awesome in. map that shows, like, the beastmen population across the world, and it kind of shows mm. it like a cancer almost. And the Darklands yeah. and the Badlands are mostly empty because there's not a lot of forests. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Nice one. I like that one. Yeah, uh, what prominent examples of Davizar war gear are in the setting, not counting war machines? Uh, the big ones are dark black shard armor, I think it's called, which is like a type of scale mail, but it's made out of like a really, really nice form of material. It's not Gromroll. It's it's similar to, because the Chaos Dwarfs don't actually have easy access to Gromroll, which is interesting because they're not like in the deep mountains and stuff. Um, but they do have access to a lot of other materials that they make to a similar level of hardness through their engineering um, but uh, they have that skill shard armor and then fire glaives are their other like really famous form of technology, um, which are rifles that shoot like, I don't even know what to describe them as. They're like bullets of fiery death. <laughs> like they're way scarier than regular bullets. Yeah, basically, um, let's sum it up as a whole rather than look at specifics. They are known for melding metal and tech with magic and sorcery, particularly with a stress on demons. Now add fire, and we start getting all manner of different items. There's lots of rockets, there's lots of shells, there's lots of things that actually feel very World War One. A big, huge mortar landing and it's shaking everything, giving everyone shell shock and it all being horrible. Fire spurting out of the ground because that happened in World War One, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, look at them as being technologically much further ahead than others and try not to get too caught up on just what you see on the models or on their forces being presented. Yep. Um, oh, this one's kind of interesting. Who would be Hatchet's main rival amongst the Ruinous Powers? Um, if you count him as a Ruinous Power, which I do, I don't know if Andy does, but I would actually say the Great Horned Rat. Um, I think the two of them stand very interestingly opposed as the Great Horned Rat is the Great Inheritor and a God of Ruination. Whereas Hashid is more of a, like Hashid builds his own stuff. He makes his own things. He builds an empire and he wants to make things. Whereas the Great Horn Rat is more about just fucking boiling everything down to slop and just taking everything from everyone without making anything himself. Yeah. So if you take a look at the key character traits, the key character traits are hatred, dominance. Artifice, hatred, <clears throat> tyranny, control. So we've got that on one side. Um, so we've got a very angry type of god here who is bitter and very dwarfy in many respects because he's been wronged. That's what it feels like. A bull-headed god um, who is stubborn and stuck in his ways and absolutely convinced that he knows the right of it. So it doesn't like anybody standing against him at all. So loosely, the answer is every fucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Though what's interesting is most people probably wouldn't think it, but I actually do think the servants of Slanesh and Hashit might occasionally see eye to eye on occasional things. Yeah. Of that. Um, They're both gods of greed. They're both that mm. bull symbology, uh, though for different I, reasons. I would actually have, because that also comes with indolence, and that would be so against the artifice and control. Oh, yeah, it. absolutely. Um, I would be very, in if I was, for example, creating myself, uh, 
let's say a mining outpost um, with a couple of hundred cares dwarves in it, maybe a couple of thousand slaves from various species. Um, I would take all of that and I would try to, as is always the case with chaos, insidiously try to get at least one or two cults in there. Um, the most obvious and easy one to get in there would be Slanesh, which in yep. some respects makes you immediately go, well, perhaps Slanesh is more of an enemy than you first realized. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, of a different mm. kind. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, are there special enchantments and runes built into the city of Zarnagrin itself? Oh, absolutely. Ain't no yeah, way. Everywhere. Ain't no way they wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Ev no everywhere. Way. I mean, that the, the, the cruniform script that they'll have will be all over the place. Hey, Godzilla. I think the Chaos Dwarf trailer, concept designs, and art from Total War and CA shows a lot of good representation of how the race looks, functions, desires, and goals. Um, and Yes, I agree. I've watched it and I liked it. Although I can't recall it because I only watched it once. So I'm going to probably go and watch it again. But I should do, once I've got myself all set up, I should just do a reaction video for every fucking CA video I, and just go no, through them I, all. I think we could do a sit down and kind of chat our way through them. I think that would, uh, people would love to watch that. Uh, yeah, that'd be super fun. Considering how popular those kinds of videos are, I think people would love that. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, no, so I think CA, like of all the, I mean, they, they've had a very good track record at like getting a good grip on each of the races but the chaos horse was definitely a very pleasant i think it was a nice surprise for everyone because it wasn't just one iteration of the chaos dwarfs they kind of took all the different versions and sort of fit them together into something although i will say again just because i can't help myself don't like using the word race for another species um, faction. Because, um or a faction a faction's good <laughs> I don't like using the word race because race is a race of the same species and it's not a human part of the human race. I know, but they call them race packs. It's dumb. I know they do, but that doesn't mean I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm better than them, goddammit. Same page. Uh, all right. Uh, great fate. Uh, since there are much fewer dwarf women, generally it's safe to assume there are significantly fewer chaos dwarf women. Not necessarily. I don't think that's safe to assume. Indeed, I think that could be one of the things that um, makes the Chaos Dwarves stand separate to normal dwarves. And if I was in control right now, I would definitely write that in so there are, because, it, because it makes sense. Yeah, there are two really interesting things that are brought up about uh, the Chaos Dwarves uh, regards to their women, which the last part of this is how are they treating Zarnagar and Chaos Dwarf society as a whole. The Chaos Dwarves have held on to a lot of the dwarf ideas about women and that it's like, it's a mostly patriarchal society. If anything, it's even more patriarchal than the original dwarfs are, but the women um, are, their the, the wrens are treated very well, or they're, they're called, they're called dames. Um, the dames are treated quite well and can have a lot of authority, though they cannot be sorcerer prophets for some reason. Um, there is like an explicit note about that, but What's interesting is that the Chaos Dwarfs do note that uh, their women do wield a lot of political authority and a lot of political power, though they are protected within, like, the Chaos Dwarfs don't like to risk them going out and fighting. But um, the notes about them that are really interesting is that, A, there's notes that the Chaos Dwarfs genetically tamper with babies in the womb. Mm. Because the Chaos Dwarfs do that to create more bull centaurs. Mm. Uh, because mm. bull centaurs don't occur very often naturally, so the chaos mm. dwarfs are constantly tinkering them with them in the womb, or sometimes when children are born, they graft their bodies using sorcery to make them into bull centaurs, which is horrific, but it works, and they're careful not to kill them. Like the chaos dwarfs are careful with their young, mm. but they use what humans would consider absolutely abominable techniques to get to where they're going um the other the, the, though there have been different interpretations there is one writer 
um, the writer of the Wolfric novel, whose name I cannot recall off the top of my head, but he took a an interesting view on Chaos Dwarfs and leaned really hard into the patriarchal aspect, where in his book, he introduced the concept of um, a Herodans. And in his book, he writes that Herodans are Chaos Dwarf women who are past the age where they can uh, still give birth. So they are no longer useful to the Chaos Dwarfs and they become guardians of the sorcerer prophets which means if anything they're like considered at the same tier as bull centaurs because they're allowed to be the personal guards of the sorcerer prophets who are literally the big dogs but Man, the way he... i hate the inherent sexism that's constantly written into this yeah, shit but it doesn't it doesn't really make a lot of sense because there's nothing there's nothing about hashit that would inherently lean him to be patriarchal exactly um, uh, um, particularly if, given the importance of dwarf women yeah if anything he would probably be the opposite uh because he the thing about hashit you have to remember is he's supposed to be the dwarfs without restrictions he's supposed to be dwarfs yeah with everything all the reins ripped off the side and just cut loose if anything he would really pressure the chaos dwarfs to use their sorcery to make them a 50 50 race and to do everything as possible to increase their population using sorcery, to make more bull centaurs using sorcery. And yeah. if anything, you probably wouldn't be able to tell a lot of the time what you're fighting because a lot of the chaos dwarfs wear like full masks and all this other stuff. Um, I'm okay with the concept of Herodans, but like it would probably be more like a specific cult within the group. Yeah, that, that I like. Like the wives of Hashit kind of concept. Yeah. Protect the crucial prophets for a, a religious reason, not a because it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I love gendering stuff um for certain cultures because it's it's what happens in the real world. Things are gendered all the time, and I have no particular issue with that. So gendering off, for example, the sorcerers or gendering off had queens uh, or ice witches or whatever that, that all those things are fine. Um, but uh purposely building in a restriction that feels like you're just trying to bring real world mores down on um a fantasy realm that doesn't have the same weirdness attached to it it just seems weird anyway let's pass on well I, um, the last thing i'll say real quick about that is don't fall into the trap a lot of people fall into where you say oh i don't see a model of this therefore it's men only you have to remember the modelers they're trying to save money they're not going to make two every time the same <laughs> model because it for them, it's just a waste of money. Unless they, unless there's a really good reason they need to do it, they're only going to print one sculpt. So don't look at like Sorcerer Prophets and go, oh, but there's only dudes, so clearly it's dudes only. No, they wanted yeah, to save quite. money, and they just didn't want to bother with it. Yeah, totally. So Cole says, are there any Hashati humans like in Age of Sigmar? Do some hobgoblins worship Hashat? One last random question, but have you all seen Troll Feet Walker's Hashat art? So I haven't seen the last one. Are there any Hashati humans uh, like on do hobgoblins worship? Um, they are a deeply religious society. So you've got two answers to this question. Either the Chaos Dwarves deeply keep it to themselves and they tell everyone no, or more realistically, everyone is forced to worship Hashat. Yeah, uh, most evidence seems to be that the hobgoblins that live among the... Here, I sent you, I sent you the image on uh, Discord oh, you. if you want to look at it. It's a very, it's a very pretty, pretty image. Um, oh, look at that! Yeah, representation of Hashat by an artist but um interesting yeah it's it's cool uh i'm not it, against that yeah it's very it's very it kind of takes the lamasu concept and just runs with yep, it Yep, does but um got a the, sumerian uh, seal 
yeah, hobgoblins definitely worship Hachette if they're within the Chaos Dwarf culture because they don't, the Chaos Dwarves do not seem to want them worshiping like Gork or Mork. They want them as, they want them to fear Hachette. Yeah. Um, but uh, humans, maybe. I don't know. Humans are weird. Humans will worship anything. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, skipping along here. What are the major imports and exports of Zarnagrun? Uh, import, major import is slaves and uh, certain minerals and gems and stuff. Export is weapons. And almost certainly uh, consumables. Let's just say consumables just in general because they're going to need to eat. Yeah. Uh, Sir Beardington does. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, does Zarnagrun deal in Warpstone? Yes, not as yeah. much. Chaos uh, uh, have an interesting relationship with Warpstone. Uh, it's noted in the Tarmacon book that they do use it, but they use it for yeah. very specific things, unlike the Skaven, who put that shit on everything. Yeah. <laughs> the Chaos Skaven treat Warpstone like ketchup. Chaos Wars treat it like an actual irradiated, dangerous material. Yeah, the, the Chaos Wars are like scientists with it. They use it for it, what it should be used for as far as they're concerned. Um, uh, unlike the Skaven, who will use it and its magical effects for literally fucking everything. Yeah, they'll even eat it because they're eat fucking it. fuckers. Uh, but, uh, what? Okay. Or, or snort it if you're good old thankful. Um, so how does uh, Zarnagrin's economy stack up against major other industrial cities? I find that a fascinating question because it's speaks to a capitalist view of how every city works and capitalism is only a more recent invention as far as we understand it in comparison to what has existed in the past they don't really strictly speaking as we understand it have an economy it's not like they've got themselves gold crowns that they're passing around and buying shit with it's not like they're printing notes to represent various types of stuff that they have they're working largely on a barter system and conquer barter conquer and take uh, all of the resources that are around are owned by all the chaos dwarves but it's also worth noting that the chaos dwarves don't have a form of government even as we understand it at the very top they've got all their priests um, and they don't have a hierarchy beyond age so age provides a certain level of respect but it doesn't mean that they will listen to you they've got an enormous chunk of sort of like few hundred of them who are basically all in control with a whole bunch of other lords and types doing yeah, various other stuff. There is, there is a so, council of the Sorcerer Prophets, but yeah. the positioning is complicated because it's like, it's age plus or minus your level of power, but yeah. it's there's a structure to it, but it's very poorly explained. It exists, but that's about, that we really don't know yeah, much about I, it. It's, it's, it's basically a giant council where biggest voice wins. Um, and that's pretty much how it's been laid out. That biggest voice will often be the quieter voice because it happens to be someone who has a lot of inherent power. Um, so they may be able to sway the council, but that doesn't mean they will sway the council because they don't actually have the job of king, for example. I find it super fascinating that there is no king. There is no queen. There is no one marked out as being their leader. The chaos dwarf that we turn to and is in command of the lot, they don't have that. You could say it's been delegated to a shot, perhaps. Yeah, there's actually, like, Astrogoth Ironhand is not considered the high priest of Hashit. He's just the most powerful of the priests of Hashit. But because so, he has a coalition. Um, he yeah. literally has a bunch of other Sorcerer Prophets that, like, agree with him. And he control. The cool thing about the Sorcerer Prophets is the way they divvy up their power is that they do divvy up as far as if you're the more powerful you are, the more you control within the city. Like you're given certain foundry, you're you're responsible for more things. But that means mm -hmm. you also get to control what goes out of them, which can give you a lot of sway in negotiations. 
um, the way they handle power is very interesting because their geo their political makeup is almost more about what districts you control. And That's as your favor goes up and down, you lose or gain more districts. I, in many respects, you'll lose or gain more districts as well, just by force, because they are tyrannical by nature. Yeah. And what you can take, whatever you can take is yours. Oh, yes. Yeah, the stone sorcerers. Uh, yeah, so a cool little thing about, we we mentioned this earlier, but need to talk about it we a did. little bit more, is that chaos dwarfs, like we said, when any, any dwarf uses magic, they can turn to stone. Um, they can, and it's magic runs wild through them. It's if they lose control of their sorcery, they will turn to stone. Like if a case sorcerer prophet is doing his job well, or a demon smith, and they don't fuck up, they're not going to turn to stone. But as they use more and more magic, especially if they're creating bigger and bigger things, like take the, uh, the big Kadai, the Kadai destroyer, for instance, a lot of chaos sorcerer prophets do not survive the experience of trying to create one because it requires so much magic channeling through your body that it's mm -hmm. easy to accidentally slip and lose control. And what's interesting is we actually have a very good explanation of what it's like for the Sorcerer Prophets and that when they lose control of their magic, it will kind of like funnel out through a part of their body. So like it might burst out through their hand or go through their lungs or their intestines or their foot. And wherever it kind of exits out their body, like a lightning, like a lightning strike seeking the nearest route to a particular location, that part of them turns to stone so astrogoth iron hand has gotten relatively lucky in that his only his hands and his lower body have turned to stone over the thousands of years he's been around but some chaos sorcerer prophets get really unlucky and their heart turns to stone the first time and they die um, although it is worth adding that originally it was feet up yeah uh, until it was just a head that was left and those heads could speak and, pro and provide prophecy and could also provide lore because they were considered to be ancients. And up in the uh, temple up at the top, there were said to be a bunch of heads that were fed, which amused me no end. This is an idea. <laughs> I actually <laughs> love that idea so much. <laughs> Just the idea that it's gone a little bit Futurama. Walk with a whole the bunch room, of you have all these <laughs> yeah, totally. ancient old sorcerer prophets yelling at you that they haven't been fed today. <laughs> I'm, I'm bloody hungry. Um, yeah, I, I think that's hilarious uh and that was the general idea astrogoth for example who was almost entirely taken from <laughs> bottom up um and I, I like that it's not a bad idea um and the top of the temple also filled with many stone statues a little bit similar to the old elder ones over in 40k where they all yeah, turn it's, crystal. Gotten, it's gotten bad enough that now the the path from the gates of czar all the way to czar nagrand has chaos sorcerer statues along the path and all of them were once real. And the super scary part is even if their heart turns to stone, which will kill them, some of them, everything but their heart and their brain is turned to stone. So they're still alive. They're yep, just still in there. stuck forever. One of the great joys of being a sorcerer is that you're constantly channeling magic through your etheric flows. And that includes Gyron, the jade wind of magic, which can keep you alive indefinitely if you've got enough of it running through you, which is not a really good way to go. Or yeah, there's a horrific or example of it in Lawhammer <laughs> at the end of uh, at the end of uh, Death on the Reich. <clears throat> I forgot about that completely. There you go. Yeah, there is nasty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so moving along here. Uh, we already talked about agriculture. Uh, it's likely a meat-based industry, but who knows? They might have found a way to make like beautiful gardens at the top that have just never been mentioned, or maybe they take volcanic ash and they have you know like wine or vineyards that somehow survive. There, there's almost. Torch. There is a need to explain what the bottom of the food chain is. 
Um, and currently that's not been done with any detail. So we're left making it up. Yep. Use your imagination. How fortified is Sardinagrin? Extremely. Extremely. That thing uh, is bristling with weapons. Yeah. And given that, uh, I mean, I, I reckon it's possibly one of the most well fortified places in the entire Warhammer world. I think it's horrifically well defended to the point that people would be surprised at how well defended it is. Um, not only are you dealing with a location that has an entire fleet sitting inside it, all of which is bristling with weapons, you've got more demonic weapons sitting here being made and popped up on walls than anywhere else in the world. We have got ourselves several hundred sorcerers who are always here. Always. Several hundred of them. And that is more than most places can um, quickly draw upon for just being there. And these are not short-lived human sorcerers who've been training for the last 30 years. Most of them are several centuries old. Um, and most of them have been practicing their magic for longer than any human will ever, ever practice it. So, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, Don't attack it. Yeah, no. And... Uh... Yeah, there are very few places that I think would be more heavily defended and none of those, like, I could maybe see the argument that Karasakarak because it is in a mountain which helps provide a lot of additional protection, but not much else. <laughs> not much else. Um, were there any successful invasions? The Slave Rebellions, and if you count the end times, Grimgor's final wah. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh skipping around all this uh but uh, for those that want to know about it like the it's a very short note it's not even in the big books it's only in one of the little black library novels it literally just says grimgore showed up with like the biggest wah ever seen somehow after he had beaten the ogres so like he looped around um <laughs> but uh so at this point you're dealing with grimgore the incarnate of gur so he's got the wind of gur in him and it's his beast wah which is all the green skins combined with all the ogres after he's already wiped out Grand Cathay. And he gets there, lays siege, and the Chaos Orcs are actually keeping him out. And then of all the characters, this this makes me laugh so much when I think about it, of all the characters that spell doom for the Chaos Dwarves, it's fucking Goldcrag Maneater. Goldcrag Maneater pulls a Mission Impossible and somehow, someway, sneaks into Zarnagrand and opens the outer gate from the inside and the cast and all the greenskins pour in. <laughs> um, which is really funny, but... <laughs> it's a giant waste. Yeah. In the same it, it, way that Zarnagrand was a waste. In the same way that the Ogre Kingdoms was a waste. There was some exceedingly cool stories to tell there, and all of them were skipped over in a paragraph. Are what? Is, what is a milliner? Does that make it? Milliner, you know a, milliner well, hat, is? a hat maker. Ah, okay. So, is are milliners <laughs> highly respected in the upper echelons of Zarnagrand? I would assume so. Ah. They. I would say they're the most important people. <laughs> yeah, that, that, apparently they're very important. Uh, hey, Doom Rider, Zarnagaran has big fortress from Wizards vibes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not unfair. Um, thanks, Doom Rider. Uh, it's a, it's a scary place. But, uh, yeah. Between Uskalak and Zarnagaran, which city is more significant from a religious perspective to the Zdawi Zar? So uh, Uskalak is very weird uh, because it's kind of like it. It has a city built on top of it that the Chaos Horse maintain, but it's literally described as a glorified garrison protecting yep. 
the ancient hold of Uskalak, but the chaos doors do not go into under any circumstances. In fact, the worst punishment that could possibly be given down to a chaos dwarf is being thrown into Uskalak with the door shut behind him. Bye. Which, which the book specifically brings up for how horrifically inventive the chaos dwarfs are speaks to what nightmarish thing must be down there for that to be the worst possible punishment they can come up with. So, um, Zarnagrund is the answer. Yeah, Zarnagrund is definitely the most important religious site. There's something in Uskalak. Something's going yeah. on there. But what, you know, could be Hashit still down there, like the physical embodiment of Hashit. Who knows? Something's down there. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, if you got to rewrite what happened to Zarnagrin, the Dawizar Empire to the end times, what we, oh, we would do a lot differently. I don't think we had enough time to go over what we would do differently. Plus, we'd probably need to think about it. Yeah, I mean, we as I said earlier in the stream, we could come up with at least 10 stories, all of which would be equally interesting. But in the end, you're not looking for one that's just fun and interesting. You're looking for one that really does epitomize the entirety of what it is to be a Chaos Dwarf. And that requires a little bit of time to try and make sure that you pin down something super, super, uber cool. They definitely would not die to Grimgore in a footnote, though. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I am not against a Black Orc taking down. Yeah, I just empire. wouldn't have it be a footnote. <laughs> but it would not be a footnote. Um, uh, I would not be against that as an idea because it does speak to their own arrogance uh, taking them down. And I'm not that bothered by how it happened. I'm just bothered that it happened without the Chaos Dwarves doing anything. And that sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would have, there, there should have been a point to what they were building up to, like a reveal of what they were building up to should have been. Yeah. Something fucking important. awesome. Yeah. Totally. Even if it doesn't end up working out for them, mm. we should have at least got to see it. Yeah. Uh, what's the population estimate? I think we already went over that. Like something like a million chaos dwarfs. Um, yeah. Something like that. Although it's fair to say that, uh, other sources would suggest there's far, far fewer chaos dwarfs. Um, and the population of millions is the slave population only. Um, so it fluctuates according to which bit you read. Yeah. That's the vast majority of chaos dwarfs alive. There's only like a few, like maybe tens of thousands outside of there between like the black fortress, the Tor- tower of Gorgoth and Uskalak. And then yeah. their naval fleets. Yeah, totally. The um, number of wizards that they have, um, the few hundred that exist, are a, a massive minority for the species as a whole. So it's worth noting that that they've got hundreds still, and their numbers are all the way up and probably higher than the dwarf Karakankor, uh, which is would ask, crazy. Is Hashit capable of ascending chaos dwarfs to demon princes? I think that's a wonderful question that I really wish someone had answered. Now, if you go back to the original uh, Realm of Chaos books, the answer is yes, they can ascend. They don't need one of the four great powers, which would suggest that, yes, a shark could do it too. I bet um, he could, but I don't think he would suffer a rival. And I think that is a really good answer to it. I think what I would do if I was writing it would almost come up with a very good reason for why he doesn't, because we don't have lots of Chaos Dwarf human princes flying about being awesome. Nor do we have long tales of um, previous uh, sorcerers or priests who have been elevated to his side or something similar, which suggests that they are indeed working towards something to allow it to occur. I would um, probably go down the more material route and say that he can't, because yeah, currently could... he's more material than he is immaterial. Yep, that could also be very true. Uh, yeah, especially yeah. if you run with the idea that he's like literally beneath Uskalak, so like more of him is in the physical realm than not then he wouldn't be able to. 
I mean, you could even argue that there's none of him in the material realm at all, and he is just an ancestor god that has um, elevated the demon prince through quite materially. Somewhat more like, if you want to take another example of who did that, Nagash. He elevated his soul significantly, but entirely materially. Yeah, or Grombrindle. Yeah. Well, yeah. Slightly different with Grombrindle, but yes, again, Grombrindle. No, in fact, no Grombrindle. Looking at the story, perfect. Yes. Uh, yes, they, that. Yeah. Uh, since the furthest east populations are Chaos Dwarfs, well, that's not technically true. Um, there are dwarfs further east than the Chaos Dwarfs in the Mountains of Morn. They never get talked about, but they are Ever. there. Um, they exist. Or a. <laughs> yeah, the, the Ogre Kingdoms book talks about them a bit, and it shows the fallen holds, but it does heavily imply there are holds that don't show up on the map because they're hidden. Like, the dwarves use runes to hide from the ogres because they've learned the hard way that you can't really just keep the ogres out. You have to hide from them. But mm -hmm. there, I, I would say it is completely absurd to suggest there's no dwarf hold in the Mountains of Morn. Yep, me too. 100%. Um, but, uh... Uh, but but does Cathay have a distorted negative opinion of dwarves? I, I wouldn't think so. Like they they, they trade with dwarves. Yeah. Like, and dwarves have appeared in the fleets. Like there have been ships that have made the way to um the uh their their naval ports because there's entire districts for elves, dwarves, and humans described in um oh god, I can't remember what the big port city's called. Um the really, really big port city. Yeah, the really big with what's her face over it. Um, yeah, uh, yes. yeah, Yin Yin rules over it. Um, I yes. cannot remember what it's called. Um, somebody in chat will remember that one. I yes. keep thinking Wei Jin, but Wei Jin's the capital. Uh, I can't. It, is. it doesn't it, matter. It, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, but no, they 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 have plenty of dwarves. Yeah, Fu Shao. Thank you. Yeah, Fu Shao. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. This is a really good question. That's really cool. So mm -hmm. one of the things that's noted in the Skaven book explicitly that I love is it says that Ikit Claw, who is a lot older than people think he is, he is hundreds of hundreds of years old. Ikit Claw's the fucking best. Love him yeah, as a so character. In Ikit Claw's lore, it explicitly states that he studies under the Sorcerer Prophets of Zarnagran in Zarnagran. He gets an apprenticeship with them, which yeah. flies in the face of everything else we know about their relationship. So Infiltrator of Troy asks, what do you think Ikit could have possibly offered them in order for him to work out that favor? So I think that what was offered would have to be enormous and fundamental to who they are. It wouldn't just simply be here, have some warp stone, because frankly, the Skaven would not be willing to part the enormous quantity that would be required to get mm. what they want. They'd rather use it for their own purposes. It wouldn't simply be some slaves because the Chaos Dwarves are more than capable of securing their own. So you're then left with what do the Chaos Dwarves want? And ultimately that is sadly where we have to draw the line because we have an enormous question mark that sits beside Hashat. Who is Hashat? What does Hashat want? We've discovered some of the things that it could be in this stream and we've discussed them out a little bit but they're still just to a degree speculation and until you answer that question you can't strictly answer the question that now lies there because that's going to be fundamental to understanding it say for example it's a dwarf let's say ancestor god that has achieved demon princedom hood and that means they will have a history. It's very possible that Ikit Claw had discovered something from their history and brings it back to them. Some ancient artifact from a previous era that Ikit has managed to get his hands upon, which could then be traded for something, something of fundamental value. But it just begs other questions. Why did they see it through? 
there's there's something here. There's a story that needs to be told. This is the sort of thing where you'd go, hey, can we just write a quick 7,000 uh, word tale about that? That'd be great. Slap it in a PDF. Job's done. Um, because there is here, I think, a beautiful story waiting to be told. A really interesting one that has yet to properly have an answer. Yeah, there's a lot of different directions you could go with it. Uh, I don't have any answers for you, but it, it, you could go some really interesting ways with it. Did uh, Drazoth bring anything slash anyone of note back from his raid into Nome? If not, what do you two think would be interesting loot for him? Uh, so there is a mention in the Tarmacon book that he, when he leaves Tarmacon's invasion force after they blow up the wrong city, um, uh, which is hilarious. Uh, I love that Tarmacon is beaten by a technicality, if you want to get honest about it. Um, yep. <laughs> a, a misunderstanding uh, but because he thinks he destroys Nuln it actually wasn't Nuln and he doesn't figure that out for a little bit which is so the Chaos Wars leave um, but because uh, they were like hey we said we'd help you blow up a city and we did so fuck you we're out of here <laughs> but um, he captures a lot of slaves uh, a lot of people and he also studies a lot of Empire engineering and technology because the Chaos Wars had not been to the Empire in a really fucking long time and he was fascinated by what the empire had come up with um as far as like what would have been the most interesting thing to take back with him um you know certain individuals maybe like engineers i mean it's going to be engineers really yeah. isn't it um maybe uh, capture you're... one of those marienburg land ships they'd probably yeah things there. a gold a gold wizard would go down relatively well because you've got the combination of engineering and and wizardry um <laughs> something that go down <laughs> yeah so so he should have taken guilt and he should have tortured him for eternity there's the answer <laughs> yeah um but yeah um uh let's see skipping along here uh do the dwarves do the chaos Wars see the irony of their greed for mineral wealth costing them them souls them their souls uh i don't think they would see it that way especially with how material focused they are i i think they would see they they might have a different understanding of the situation how exactly um, is it costing their souls I, I I assume he means in the traditional like structure of the ancestor gods and going on to hall of your ancestors and stuff like like the dwarf the dwarf afterlife which the chaos dwarves don't seem nearly as concerned with. I'm pretty convinced they don't care about that shit. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, no. They, they either are probably convinced it doesn't exist or it's just not worth worrying about. Uh, how does Zarnak do with the presence of Clan Rictus? They shoot them. Um, long and short is the of it. Um. <laughs> And also, Crookback Mountain is super fucking far away from Zarnagrun. Like, yeah, really far. Super fucking far away. Not even close. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh, what is Zarnagrun's uh, policy in regards to non-Dawizar settlements like the Sentinels and Pigbarter? Sentinels not really a city per se. It's it's more of like a stopping point for a lot of caravans. But it's kind of like it breaks and comes back and breaks and comes back. Uh, I imagine they raid them occasionally for slaves and otherwise ignore them. Yeah, I think that's the case. Um, they have several sources of slaves, and I think that there's going to be quite a lot of trade coming from the greenskins for slaves as well, um, where they will not get raided if they raid somebody else on their behalf. So basically, they've got people funneling slaves into them, meaning that they don't need to go out and do their raids anywhere near as much as would be the case. Uh, a knock-on effect. Gotta remember that this plane is full of shit. And there's going to be people in that plane who do not want to piss off the Chaos Dwarves. Um, so in turn, they will become effectively agents of the Chaos Dwarves. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, is there defense against an ogre invasion? Well, so the ogres have tried to invade the Chaos Dwarves, and they got the absolute bejesus shot out of them, and they gave up. Yeah. Um, I mean, why bother? Um, it, they're, they're small. They're 
short. They're covered in metal. It, it wasn't great eating, and it wasn't worth yeah. the hassle. Is the long yeah. and short of it? Yeah, and you get shot at a lot. Um, they're they're better to trade with than to actually kill. Yeah, especially when Greasus came to them as like, hey, gold's a good thing. And the Chaos Force were like, oh, gold is pretty much useless to us. So yeah, here. <laughs> um, yeah. Are there any trade routes going to and from Zanagra? Yes. Uh, there's the trade route. There are the ocean routes that go up and down the River Ruin both ways. And then yep. they also have road routes that go through the gates of Zar to uh, Tower of Gorgoth. But it, it's fair to say that most of their trade is with themselves. Yep. Um, uh, their, their river routes, for or example. people talk to them. They don't go to anybody yeah. else. Totally. Um, and it's going to be dangerous. Uh, is our Agrand actively found new settlements? Nope. Nope. They they made some outposts to more securely funnel things to themselves, but everything funnels to Zarnagrand. It is the only city. The other ones are defensive towers or my, uh, big fancy mines. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I mean, the Tower of Gorgoth is literally just an overseer tower over a bunch of really important mines. That's literally all it is. Yeah. I mean, it's got a pretty huge population, but still. Yeah, it's huge. But, yeah. but, but it's, it's there for the resources. It's not there for living. Yeah, the Chaos Wars do not consider it a city. They consider it an outpost. Uh, let's see. Why is Zarnagrin the capital, not Uzklak? Because Hashit told them to. I think that's probably the best answer. Uh, let's see. Uh, question specific for Andy about behind the scenes stuff. During your times working on Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, was there ever any talks to explore the Darklands or Zarnagrin a potential expansion or anything involving the Chaos Dwarfs? No. Uh, Hellfire, how often do slaves manage to escape the Chaos Dwarfs? Very rarely. I would very. I very counter that and say quite commonly. I, I'm going to go the opposite side and say quite often, um, but they die. Um, yeah, I, I don't think anyone has successfully escaped. There's just too many slaves for there not to be repeated attempts and repeated uprisings and repeated issues. The slave masters, it's their job to try and stop that from occurring. Does it happen? Probably on a daily basis at different parts of the empire at different points. Sure. But is it successful? That's the more important question. And most of the time, no. Yeah, I, my thing is like the Darklands are so inhospitable no one yeah. gets out. Just yeah. I, I don't think anybody gets out. Maybe I you imagine. Know. You know, there'll be one or two here or there that gets out because ne you never say never. Plus it makes for an interesting character background if you want to have someone who's been down sure. the mines of Zarnagrin. Very rare. I'll just leave it at okay. very rare. <laughs> yeah, I think that's much better because you always want to have those cool stories and uh, yeah. that uh, stand out as examples. Are the, different. What yeah. if, for example, a human who was stuck down there got blessed by Tal or blessed by Renal, um, and just creeps their way out. There's almost no way that they would have a stopping them. They'd have to then figure out how the hell he's going to survive the long walk across the plains. Now, honestly, but there's, there's always going to be ways. Yeah. Getting getting away from the other slaves probably is not the hard part. It's once you're out of Mingles Arnagran that it probably gets really fucking difficult. Yeah. Um, as, as I say, I think um, I don't think security needs to be that high because the yeah, where are you gonna repercussions, go? yeah, the repercussions for uh, escaping are so severe. You will be killed. That's it. You are going to die. Are you sure you want to do this? And then you go out and either they kill you or the environment kills you. And then they drag your body back and they hang it up for everyone else to see. Yep. Uh, late question. Uh, well, no, it's not late. Um, uh, why is our Nagra? Oh, okay. We've already talked about that quite a bit. Uh, how far does Hatchet's influence reach? It's pretty much just the Darklands. Um, yeah. And then where his fleets go. And even but... then... I... Yeah, just and those little spheres of influence. It's, it's, it's spines and spheres and very little else. It's like a little a web. Um, yeah. And all the rest of it's just open lands where the mostly greenskins dominate. Can and you those find green skins... outside oh. the Darklands? Rarely. 
very rarely. I mean, other than um, as part of the Chaos Dwarf fleets, and even then, they don't make it round into the main ocean because they very rarely go past um, the is it dusk? I was forget which was which the fortress of dusk, fortress of dawn, yes. whichever one's yeah. at the bottom there, uh, whichever one's at the bottom of the Southlands. I always forget which one it is, but they That's... very rarely go past that because the elves patrol like like bastards. Um, yep. So they don't sure let the Chaos Dwarfs by. Yeah, that's, dawn. that's dawn. Yeah, dawn. Thank you. Um, and they 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 have. Uh, they've had many, many naval conflicts and the Chaos Dwarves have broadly lost because the Elves are masters of the sea. Yeah, uh, yeah. for people that wonder, the High Elves actually fight the Chaos Dwarves a lot <laughs> in, naval, in naval skirmishes. Yeah, they uh, do. Which is very annoying to the Chaos Dwarves. Uh, Akuma King, since bulls are sacred to hatch out the Chaos Dwarves, how do they view Venet uh, Minotaurs? Would Tarx the Brass Bull get any bonus from interacting with the Chorfs? Um, so what's interesting about this is I think the dwarves would be moderately kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but the problem is actually the beastmen side of things. Um, beastmen despise civilization, um, like on a fundamental fiery level of hate, the likes of which is kind of insane. Um, I don't think they'd get along. <laughs> yeah, my biggest issue is that uh, the Chaos Dwarves never really had anything to do with Minotaurs. Why the fuck not, given everything else they did? There should have been something laid into there somewhere. At least a mention, a box, a something written in one of the books that's discussing the fact that their god is so fundamentally tied to what appears to be Minotaurs, even if they hated them because they were a debased form of life in comparison to what they see as divinity. There should be some sort of comment as to what the relationship is. Yeah, a really good it feels character. like it's missing. A really good old world character from like a role play thing, just as like a random potential adventure hook character, would be a chaos dwarf demon smith who is like come to study Minotaurs or is hunting Tarix. Like he's heard about Tarix and he's come hunting for him uh, because he wants to study him or take him back to Zardagrand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's definitely something missing there. It'd be lovely to have. I mean, they're not. It's not like it's not going to be known. They've probably got slaves that are include Minotaurs. Not necessarily many, but they'll have some. So. Seriously, get that little block filled up, GW, somewhere. Roleplay book, something. Yeah, there, there, there is not an explicit relationship between them, which is weird because you would expect it. Is. It's weird. Yeah. Um, exactly. Let's see. Uh, would it be a fair assumption that the beast would hate the Chaos Dwarves because of the way the Chaos Dwarves oppress the wilds and destroy everything? Yes. The, the yeah. beastmen are very particular about how they want the world to work, and the Chaos Dwarves do not fit within that worldview. They would not That's go all. But I mean, the beastmen are very jealous, spiteful little turds. They don't like anybody. Um, they don't even like the other chaos factions. <laughs> like, they don't like anybody. Yeah, they're a pretty complicated group. Um, there's a a relatively big conversation going on over in the Lohammer Discord actually about uh, using beastmen in a slightly different way, which I think is worth uh, all centered around Tal, the god of the wild. Yeah, quite but uh, yeah, the chaos horse would be very not kosher with the the beastmen under any circumstances nah, they, they, it doesn't even matter which version of the beastmen they would not get along totes. um because the beastmen are kind of the concept of like the wilds overtaking everything else whereas the the chaos dwarfs are taking all of reality and crushing it under your will and in industry yeah one is what industry and the other one is almost the opposite yeah totally uh let's see who knows more about enslaving oh this is actually a cool question who knows more about enslaving demons the chaos the sorcerer prophets of hashit or marathi marathi is much older she is much older yeah i i, I would say the chaos dwarves um yep. upon balance um they they are mastering new forms of demonic binding 
um, that the Dark Elves have never truly pursued with you anything know, close. A subject to the we same. should. I kind of we should do a stream sometime exploring why the elves do not go deep into a lot of the subject matter that they do. Like when it comes to like binding demons or necromancy or a lot of these other things, the elves are very weird about not taking things as far as a lot of the other races do, which is interesting. It's a consistent yes, they, theme. They have boundaries um, that they very rarely cross. And those boundaries are definitely worth another stream because I'll just start talking. <laughs> I was yeah, like, we, we, they are. Oh, we're, we're already over time. We don't have time. Uh, okay. So totally. just zipping through these. Uh, Let's see. Uh, if the war machine sold by Zarnacker to the Wars of Cast are experimental, unreliable, uh, does that apply to everything that they sell to their allies? Everything oh. they sell to their allies is usually stuff that they just don't want or they consider yeah. like, like, eh. Now, sometimes it's unreliable things that are like, what if somebody wields this? Let's give it to that guy and see what it does. But when that happens, they usually send a Chaos Dwarf with them um, to like observe it and report back. So it's pretty rare that it's yeah, like it's a weapon or something like that. And it's theirs. Um, and particularly if it's a demon-infested artifact that requires tending, they'll be hanging along with that. Um, the, the answer to that is we don't actually have an answer. Yep. We have to make one up. Yeah, um, but the, and the Hell Cannons, they send escorts to observe. Um, whereas, like, they don't do that with anything else that we've seen. So Yeah, quite. So we've got snippets only so make your own decision on that one really uh real quick uh so brief questions if the chaos horse reclaimed a stronghold would there wait what oh 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 if dwarf the regular dwarves, no no if the regular dwarfs reclaimed uskalak uh mm -hmm. do you think there'd be any lost artifacts around the place of interest to them or do you think chaos would have consumed everything and they'd be like no blow it up yes um, I think both. Yeah, man, the dwarves reclaiming Uskalak would be a fascinating storyline. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a fun story. That's the sort yeah, of shit they, they'd have to confront some really uncomfortable shit in yep. Uskalak. Yep, it's a good story. Yeah, hell, that'd make a Go Trick and Felix going to Uskalak would have been a great book. I would have read the shit out yeah. of that. That would um, be fucking awesome. Uh, let's see. Uh, how big of a threat to the cast dwarves are the normal dwarves? Do the Darvazar want to claim the dwarf holds, or is that not profitable for them? It's just it's not on their remit. It's, yeah, they they deeply deeply despise one another, but I think they also both understand it's not worth the amount of effort it would take to wipe each other out. Yeah, because like they're, they, they, I mean, if anything, they shun each other. Yeah, if anything, they shun each other. I think the only place where you're likely to see them meeting more frequently would be over in the mountains of Morn with whatever is over there in the dwarfy side. Um, I imagine there's a certain amount of hatred between those lot. Yeah, there. I mean, the hatred that they have for each other is greater than anything else, which for a dwarf is saying a lot. Um, but I mean, it's so high they don't even want to think about it. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's the thing. They really don't like talking about one another. Like every that's something that writers have actually been nicely consistent on is that whenever you have a dwarf and chaos horse are brought up, they shut that shit down. They will use violence if they have to to shut that shit down. Yeah, what I particularly uh, like about the whole potential situation is as well is that there might be no grudges. <laughs> there's no, yeah, there's no written grudges. It's just a um, yeah. personal interest. Um, if anything, it's, it, it's shame. It's all shame over what occurred. Um, and that's it's not grudges, it's shame. And they feel deep abiding shame. 
Yeah, there's a. Uh, I actually really enjoyed uh, David Geimer's uh, Road of Skulls for Go Trek and Felix because he does a really good job representing how like unpleasant the two of them fighting each other is. Like the Dawis are to find some joy in it of like showing how great they've become and they don't need the ancestor gods to like crack the holds of their lesser kin. But for the dwarves, it's a deeply uncomfortable conflict. Like just fighting yeah. the chaos horse is very uncomfortable for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, like Go Trek is very he has a really well-written little series of dialogue with Felix about it. Cause Felix is like, y'all okay. And they're like, we really don't want to talk about it. <laughs> this is very uncomfortable for us. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, have the chaos Wars been affected during the goblin wars. Not really. Um, the goblin wars was mostly contained to the mountains themselves, but maybe they had some issues, but the I think it's more likely that they affected the end of the goblin world in a way that nobody would like to. Yeah. Accept. You, you could argue that yes, they had a horrible time with the goblin wars, but it was very self-inflicted. <laughs> because that, that Quite. Is when the black orcs um, rebellion and, the, and arguably the black orcs then turned the goblin wars into something else yeah so there's the tail end yeah yeah a lot a lot the the big epic finale of the goblin wars is quite literally the chaos wars fault yep um would the chaos dwarves attacking would normal dwarves attacking zarnagran shoot the sorcerer statues at them as ammunition with their grudge throwers <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> <It'd be> hilarious. <laughs> Crack. Dwarf doom divers. Uh, um, uh, okay, last, last, literally last few. Does Zarnagran have good public transportation? Probably better than yeah. you would think. I um, think it's probably got probably very good public systems transportation. that allow you to go up and it's down the have elevators. It's going to have lifts. And they're they're big have... into steam tech. They love yeah. their steam tech. Yeah. There's going to be steam everything. Um, there's going to be little uh, platforms you can stand on to carry you off somewhere in the same way that they've got the various um, forges. <laughs> Chaos Dwarf trains always run trains. on time. And, and yeah, I was about to say, and you. trains. Yeah. So many freaking trains. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see. Is Astrogoth at the top of the leadership right now? Yes. Astrogoth is the big guy in charge, uh, though he has been exiling people who are beginning to threaten his rule. Uh, most notably, Drazoth the Ashen, who was uh, his apprentice, and he exiled him because he was getting too strong. So he chased him out to the uh, the Black Fortress. Uh, let's see. Is Arnagran considered sacrosanct to the Chaos Dwarves? Or does conflict between Sorcerer's Prophets regularly spill into the street? Interestingly, Sorcerer Prophets do not, is very considered not good. Yeah, they're, they directly they're dwarves. kill each other. They're dwarves. Yeah, like um, slaying can happen, um, but it's usually a form of punishment, not something yeah. that happens casually. Yeah, um, they're dwarves, so this is um, much rarer than it would be amongst many of the species that we generally determine as evil. Um, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. They have many conflicts because they are tyrants at heart. They want control, which means that there's going to be sometimes deep and abiding conflicts. But you tend to find that these are simmering things that last scores, if not centuries. Um, scores of years, pardon me, if not centuries. But yeah, they're dwarves. Yeah, if a sorcerer prophet is going to assassinate another sorcerer prophet, it'd have to be very sneaky because other yeah. sorcerer prophets would use that against them and it would be bad. Um, so mm -hmm. it, you have the whole thing. Uh, can Andy and you wish my girlfriend Anna happy birthday? Yes, happy birthday, and I hope you're having a great day. Happy birthday! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Was it Anna? Uh, Anna. Anna. There you go. Happy birthday, dear Anna. Happy birthday to you. There you go. Uh, let's see. <laughs> if the Black Horse were a success, would the Chaos Horse try their luck with another race? Uh, I think. Uh, well, you could argue that's what the Kadai are. 
um, that yeah. they are the concept of the black orcs and them realizing that they can't necessarily account for all the variables of already living life. So let's just make something from scratch. I think you could also happily say that uh, there are many more examples of things that they have done. It's just we don't see them. For example, who's to say that half the hobgoblins aren't genetically modified? Yep. Also, so they if you want to have backstab fun them. with a Wolfram villain, introducing a Wolfram villain who comes to the Empire and has like new genetically altered somethings uh, could be super duper fucking fun. Like what yeah. if he shows up with genetically modified ogres or chaos spawn or whatever? It could actually be really spicy. Um, or what if a caster is trying to capture your elf character because he wants to experiment with elves? Ooh, um, because they don't get a lot of those over there. Uh, let's see. And then the last three questions. Uh, do does anyone visit Zarnagrad? He asked elves, but I'm gonna change it to anyone. The answer is no. <laughs> Nobody. I, I would say that nobody visits, but you would definitely get some who would be looking to make trades. There's gonna be various powerful green skin tribes who will attempt to be doing what? this. Yeah, chaos have chaos warlords. Some chaos warlords will come down. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, there's been a delegation or two from the chaos from the dark elves as well. Yeah, um, I, I imagine Malakith. I would be shocked actually if Malakith has not made contact with Zarnagrand. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, a very likely outcome, particularly if, for example, there's an incursion coming. Uh, he very well may attempt to stop him selling them selling things to anyone that might interfere with any of the dark elves' plans. The dark elves have worked with chaos. For goodness' sake, they they have contempt for chaos and they're happy to use them, which means they'll be happy to use chaos dwarves as well. So yeah, I think no. it's definitely. Now, you want to talk about some cutthroat diplomacy? I bet those talks were brutal <laughs> yep. yep um and then the last few questions who knows more about the chaos dwarves the skaven or the dwarves uh, i would say skaven encounter them far more often far more often it's an interesting one isn't it yeah because yeah, the, the skaven are like constantly trying to steal shit from them too um yeah they know a lot about the chaos dwarves the dwarves yes know very little travis travis yes yes would you say that the chaos dwarves and the dwarves would be involved in each other's end times in a more satisfying end of the world yes that that giving the chaos dwarves um a raison d'etre what they're doing having the dwarves um uh be horrified in one fashion or another or worse look at what they're doing and perhaps even some of them saying oh shit they're doing something that's almost worthwhile but they're oh my goodness in the end you want to make everything difficult in the end times um and i think that the chaos dwarves should have been a part of the dwarf story yeah i it it was a there was a lot of letdowns, but not having kind of like a final kind of showdown in a sense of the children of the ancestor gods. And then these children that saw believe themselves abandoned, trying to yeah. reveal a truth of what happened there, who or what Hashit is and how yeah. he ties back to the ancestor gods that should have happened. What replaced the ancestor gods for the chaos dwarves and what sort of questions is that posed to the other dwarves? That's a question that should have been asked and answered during the course of the end times. It wouldn't have taken much. You could have even just dropped a double page spread in one of the books and it could have done the hard work there. Um, it would have been fun. Yeah, especially because there would have been some really interesting questions for like a council of everyone fighting Archeon of chaos dwarves saying, we're willing to do anything to win. Whereas your dwarf friends here they won't like they have these rules they got to follow and the dwarf saying no we're the good guys and the chaos dwarf saying you'll just accept your fate and die we won't that could be a really fascinating argument between those factions so tinfoil hat time there's a forgotten ancestor god and a source of shame under Ozkalak. and you know what yeah possibly uh, as an alternative to us suggesting that in the end times not probably in the end times probably that uh 
Hashat is an ancestor god, it could be that an ancestor god fell to Hashat and is trapped underneath there. Um, and it that god is the reason that they all went because that god persuaded them to. There's lots of different stories you could tell there that would be super fun. So I don't think that's necessarily that tinfoil hatty. It seems relatively possible um, as an outcome. So yeah, that's quite fun. And we also have one there from Sepifer. What relationship or interactions do we see between the various undead and the Chaos Dwarves? So there, so for one, there is an explicit mention of there is an ogre by the name of Braug the Slave Lord, who is a well very, remembered. Yeah, he's a very weird character, but he is an ogre that got captured wow. by a necromancer to be experimented on, and then through shenanigans literal shenanigans he ate the necromancer who was mid spell and because of that his stomach ended up turning into kind of like a a, a vacuum for dark magic uh, of a necromantic sort so he exudes necromantic energy from his belly and he walks around killing people and he gets these big trains of corpses zombies and skeletons that follow him around and he marches them to zarnagran and he trades these undead slaves for goodies and he's a very staunch ally of the Chaos Dwarfs. Um, hilarious character. Um, very weird, but hilarious. Um, what's interesting, though, is that the Chaos Dwarfs, being as material as they are, I think they would actually have some very interesting mutual ideas with the Vampire Counts. And debatably, even the Tomb Kings. Now, granted, the Undead have a very hilarious level of arrogance to them that is often viewed as a madness that causes mm. them to really struggle to make friendships um especially like the tomb kings and especially like the big bad vampire lords um that being said i would be shocked if there is not like a necrarch that has established a relationship with the chaos dwarves at some point yeah i mean bluntly the chaos dwarves make the best magical artifacts in the world because they're willing to go further than the dwarves. Yeah, honestly. And they're willing to pull in shit, which means that anyone out there who has got a low moral standing in terms of willingness to yeah. use chaos created artifacts are going to go, hell yes. And there are more than one undead individual out there who would be more than willing to deal with them. It's just the connection. They are so far away. So you need the wanderers, your Manfred von Karsteins yeah, rather, Manfred, than, I would say rather than your Manfred, average life master or whatever. Yeah, I would say Manfred undoubtedly, in my opinion, has visited them during his world travels. Vlad yeah. probably stopped by there at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, Neferata has to have spies. There's no way Neferata and the Lamians would not have spies. In, yeah, in exactly, because they're on the other side, um, uh, over at the Pinnacle. Um, so yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. hey, Godzilla, this um, is gonna get me through. Oh, oh, you go for it. Up, oh, this is gonna get me thrown to the snake pit. But the stream and Total War has me love the Chaos Dwarfs rival my love for the Lizardmen. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's whatever. It's fine. You know. <laughs> One of the reasons I, I love really all my loved... children equally, okay? Yeah, yeah, me too. But one of the reasons I've always sort of loved the Chaos Dwarves, I indeed even sent one of my campaigns over there for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 
Um, there was a sword master of Hoth in that campaign randomly. Um, but one of the reasons I've always loved it is because they've got so little love out there from Games Workshop as a whole. Um, so it's always been one of those weird factions that sit at the sides, a little bit like, say, the Gene Stealers for 40k as a faction, the Gene Stealer cult. They're not given as much love as all the Space Marines. They're not given as much love as the Dwarves. So I've always had a relatively soft spot for them and felt that they've always needed just that little bit more push to give their lore a bit more oomph to really make them sing. It's one of the reasons I really loved the uh, Tamarkan book because it brought a whole bunch of extra stuff. It was just a shame it's tried to rewrite everything that came before, where when we've got the newest version of Total War, they've very much taken everything and it's almost like a fanboy creation where they've taken all the best bits, thrown it together and gone, take a look at that. That's fucking We, we love fanboy creations here. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it's pretty much our... Our, I don't know. It's our. Uh, it's, what we do, it's, almost, it? it's almost like the point is that or who knows. But anyway, yeah, uh, we're way over time. So uh, we are way over time. But that <laughs> was fun. Yeah, thank you all very much for watching. Uh, like always, we I came into this being like I don't know how we're going to talk about this for even. We hours. ended up half an hour longer than normal. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I actually came to some really really cool little uh, nuggets that I'm really excited to walk away with and think about. Because like before the stream, I would have been on team, like I would have been on hard on team Hashit's like a weird different kind of entity that slipped in during the cataclysm. And now I'm much more hard. No, he is a demon prince ancestor god. Like yeah, I am too. full in on that team now. I was not in on that before the stream either. So I really do like where that lands. Um, can I also just throw out just a general big thanks to everyone who's voted uh, each time that we decide which topics we'll do for next time, because you've led us in some unexpected directions and at the same time left us with some really good streams because of that. This is not a stream I expected to do, but it's a stream that I'm absolutely delighted that I have done even if I did mistake my stupid black orc uprising at, early okay. on. It's okay. Oh, <laughs> oh I am going to. It. It's okay. We got I'm, it. I'm going to cry over that for weeks now. It's like such a rookie error. Bloody hell. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, yeah, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you all very, very much for joining us. Thank you for all the super generous super chats and all that. And yeah, that was on super Twitch nice. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate y'all helping us keep food on the table. Uh, Indeed, and uh, for next week, it'll be a vote on my channel, won't be, and you'll be over yeah. in your channel. So and um, it while might be on a, it probably will be on a different day. Mm -hmm. Because next week I'm going up to see my parents because they've been married for fifty years, which is lovely. So we're gonna pop up the date That's for the awesome. day afterwards. It is it's pretty cool. I feel um, like my parents have been married forever, and they've only been married for like thirty six years. Yeah. 14 years and you fuck I feel old. Right, so that being the case, let's end on Andy feels old. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> right, other than that, we'll see you all next time. Uh, goodbye. <laughs>